Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. Want to witness the world's biggest football game? Head to iCanWin.com.au, predict Australia's score with a crystal ball, and it could be you and a friend at the FIFA World Cup Qatar 2022 semifinals, all thanks to McDonald's. Maccas, together and loving it. TNCs apply. From behind the stumps to behind the mic, nothing gets past Smithy. This is Mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ. Just gone three past nine here on Mornings with Ian Smith. Kia ora, good morning to you. Uh, welcome to your Wednesday. And uh, coming up on the show today, big show today, uh, we're going to be uh, talking a lot of different sports, spreading it around. Uh, coming up shortly, Patrick Shannon, the uh, assistant coach of the Black Sox, he's going to talk to us because the uh, Black Sox squad for the World Cup has been named. We'll do that shortly. We're also going to talk cricket. Ian Anderson. Uh, who's the chief cricket writer for stuff.co.nz is going to talk T20 World Cup with us. The Aussies had a big win against the Sri Lankans overnight in Perth. Uh, after 10 o'clock, Jacob Spoonley, former All-Whites goalkeeper and football commentator. We're going to talk Phoenix Women's World Cup and Champions League action with him. There is a uh, full round of Champions League again midweek this week, and we'll go over those results for you. Ben Reiter, the man who wrote the Astro Ball book, is going to join us to talk the World Series. He's going to preview... Uh, that World Series between the Houston Astros and the Philadelphia Phillies, which gets underway this weekend. All the Super Rugby squads seem to have named their their, their squads overnight. Well, not all, but most have, have done. Uh, we will get a reaction to that after 11. We're shifting things around. After 11 o'clock, the panel uh, today, instead of the normal time, Andrew Gordy, Guy Havelt on that. We'll talk those uh, World Cup squads uh, sorry, those uh, Super Rugby squads will talk uh, World Cups with them as well. Plenty of the World Cups going on at the moment. And there is your chance to win a $50 TAB bonus bet with Stumped at around 11.30. So all of that and more to come on the show. News came out yesterday that the Black Sox had named their squad for the World Cup. It is a home World Cup. Gets underway in November, late November, November 26 is the opening day of the Softball World Cup. It is going to be held here in New Zealand for the first time, I think, since 2013. The Black Sox, of course, seven-time winners. They have a rich history at the World Cup do our Black Sox and uh, joining us to talk about that is the batting coach and assistant coach of the Black Sox, uh, Patrick Shannon. G'day Patrick, how are you? Good, nice to meet you. Yeah, nice to have you on mate, thanks for giving us some time today. Uh, it's uh, it's an exciting time for the Black Sox mate, I mean uh, last time I think it was here with 2013, the World Cup, uh, the Black Sox managed managed to get the win and, and add to that seven titles or, you know, make it seven titles now uh, as as world champions for the Black Sox. Uh, how are you feeling about the squad that you guys named yesterday? I'm actually feeling pretty good. You know, uh, for the Golden Hose Black Sox, we haven't actually been together or played for like three and a half years. So it's been a lot of training camps and, and, and clinics and, and Zoom meetings. So uh, to finally actually get our feet on the ground and actually been boys have been playing some softball for the, next, for the last 18 months and to finally name a team in person, uh, we're pretty excited about it. 
Well, of course, we had the national champs over the weekend in Christchurch. Uh, I mean, how much bearing did the national champs and what you saw on the weekend have on this team that was named, or was that pretty much done before the weekend? Um, no, obviously, everyone kind of realises that not the majority, but some core players are always uh, named early, or we know that we're going to be named early to build build around them. But mm. uh, bearing of the, the last NFC was actually quite important. There was a, a good number, a good five or six players that were still, you know, bracketed with other guys playing off against each other. And um, we kind of saw what we needed to, and that's probably what shows in the strength of the roster and the, the team list that we put out. Yeah, I know Mark um, Sorensen, the head coach, was saying, you know, that there, there were some very good players that didn't make the team. I'd be interested as a bit of an exercise, um, not that I expect you to do it right now, but I mean, just off the top of your head, that a second string side or a, or a team of guys that didn't make this Black, uh, Black Sox squad, I mean, how competitive do you think that team would be at the World Cup? Um, actually, quite quite competitive. You know, it's uh, the only difference probably age would be the only kind of not the real only factor, but one of the factors. But um, the team would be very strong to go against, say, an Auckland B or New Zealand B team. Sorry, mm-hmm. but we, we, when we named this team, we knew that we we're naming for five weeks' time, but also with an eye on the future. So, like you could say, the starting nine or our basic core players, we knew would be the. It didn't matter if they were young, old, or experienced, but we know that, that they can handle the high pressure situations. But looking for depth as well. That's where our roster spots came at for, for the, some of the guys that were bracketed with others, and that's obviously where you're always going to get a few unlucky players, which if we were playing tomorrow or the next week, maybe would have been you know a, a different story, but we've got five weeks to build some new guys into the team and build a culture, and that's the strength of what the Black Sox has been before in previous World Championships is our depth that we've always had, so it never they never just played one or two players. They played the whole squad as a whole, and that's what we're looking to do. I guess... Looking at it from you know outside the camp, um, it feels like the culture of the Black Sox is strong, and that you guys continue to evolve that and build on it. And and you know I talk about that because I look at, I guess you could almost call them dynasties with some of the family names that we see in there. You know the Anokas, the Ronas, the Marquias as well. You know that's it's generation on generation of guys that are that are pulling on the Black Sox jersey um, who have seen their dads or mums do it, and, and, and you know and and goes further and further down the line. Well, it does go a long way to, you know, to breed or to farm in the depth of what we what we're looking for as well. Say the family ties to it. It's, mm. If you see your mum and dad or your cousin or your or your best friend or whatever long time family member succeed, then you know what it expects to be when if you ever get the chance to do it. So it's not like a lot of players are going in unknown of what's expected to the the expectations is we build a culture in and they kind of know what it means for this team and for the for the sport itself to. Uh, uphold what has gone before them and that is that is a big strength in what we've done and then that's why it's not like just because you are a family member you get named it's that they know that what is expected and basically they earn the right to to be there and then um and it just keeps rolling and that, that's what keeps our consistency so so strong the um I, I guess the the best way to put this i don't know if professionalism is the right word because it isn't a professional sport but just in terms of the high performance aspect maybe of softball seems to have changed as well how much um yeah and for the better i'm saying from you know the teams that we celebrated so much in the 90s and and things but how much is that down to baseball's emergence as well and softball having to lift its game well yeah it's um 
the emergence comes from the analytics side of it. Like any sport has evolved, right? It's uh, you're looking for the one two percent, and if you don't, you're the ones that get left behind. Even though everyone can play at a world championship, so that's where you're looking for the the one but two one two percent or the X factors, and that's where you find it when you have to break things down even more. And that's where high performance sport, our service that we get, and that's on the field as much as off the field. And um, if you don't adopt it, which we we're buying into and we're using it. That's why you, you might see a, a little bit of change in how we play a little bit. We're more decisive on our game plans and off the field stuff too. Like we know important culture. That's why we do breed young players coming in and we know how to put them in place and, and through the build-up we're going to be having shortly is it's push, putting them in pressure situations because we know by the numbers that we've looked through it and, and, and uh, measured them on is how we can put them in positions and situations to see if they do have it. What does somebody like um, Tawera Bishop add for you guys? He's making his World Cup debut at this World Cup. Of course, he's, he's got family ties. His mum, Betsy, was a, uh, represented New Zealand at softball. He's been a black diamond as well, so he'll be a dual international. What does someone like him and the background he's got in, uh, in his sporting career bring to the team? Well, yeah, through the baseball background that he has, or he's gone through, it, the professionalism and the, um, and the, the basic doing the don'ts goes a long way and baseball and softball are very close together as sports and, and habits that come along with it and that's where he, since he has come from a high level for New Zealand baseball to come to us and he has been a softballer before except as well, but it's come. it shows that how professional does help it's not worrying about, there's a lot of things you can worry about and a lot of things you don't need to and that's where his background comes from because again the analytic side of it, it's you know, doing your job and being ready the whole time, you know, being a sponge. And that's how he can adopt from basically playing baseball and switching to being a dual international within a month, practically. And he's not going to be losing track. And what he brings is, you could say, an X factor or a uh, a hardness of professionalism. So that he's there to do a job and it's whatever it takes. And and he's used to probably breaking down things in analytics. And, and a lot of the guys are aware of it, but for a person to actually be in the baseball family and stuff, it's easy for him to interpret it too to a lot of the boys whenever they uh, see something they're not understanding and it's it's a twofer, basically. Yeah, I, and I guess that's something as well that's, uh, you know, it's it's hard to coach that. It's some, some, it tends to be something players either have or they don't and that that's that ability as you talked about just then, uh, to be able to recognise what's happening out on the diamond and to be able to shift tactically around what you're doing and, and, and to make those calls almost like having a coach out there on the diamond. Well, yeah, that's that's it. It's like, as, as people say, it is his first World Cup, but he probably brings a little bit of a, an experienced mind to it. We, we can't wait for a guy to play for 10-plus years in the team to have that kind of same game sense and stuff and, and game management, which is he brings a calmness and, a, and, a, and a quite an assurity of he's there to do a job and this is what it takes. And um, he's a bit of a rock-solid one of the anchors that we can kind of look to build and um, move forward from, which is... It's not saying we haven't had that in the past few campaigns, but you're always waiting for the next, not generational player, but like a few star players or a few anchors that come along, which is, is shows that this is what we weren't missing, but we didn't know that we didn't have yeah. until we've got him now, which we're quite excited about. Yeah, it's, it's that that old thing of you don't know what you don't know for a while, right? Until <laughs> until somebody oh, shows it to you. That's right, and then we are trying to not redeem ourselves, but we're trying to get back to where we we know our best is good enough to get there and. The last campaign didn't go as well, but it's sometimes you just, like you said, you don't know what you don't know, and, and we're finding new ways. We're not changing the whole culture and the the storied past of the socks, but we're just adding to it. And so 
it's it's it is quite exciting going into it. I must say. Yeah, yeah. I mean, a few years ago, there was, you know, with the rise of baseball in New Zealand, um, we saw a lot more clubs picking up. And of course, you know, we've had the Tuatara since then as well. I think there were a lot of people probably from outside of the sport thinking, oh, maybe this could be the death knell of softball in New Zealand at the t- at the top end. But it feels to me that the, the sports have actually worked together really well and that they've, they've just driven each other uh, to, to, uh, to higher achievements or to, to better standards. Um, yeah, it's not like it's a, a rivalry as such. Like probably the marketability of baseball and being more global to the the, the consumer, you could say, made it easy for people to think that you, it's the powerhouse that's going to take it over, kind of thing. But for softball people, baseball's always been around, and we've already fed off it. And if we weren't playing baseball before, a lot of them weren't just going to go and play baseball all of a sudden, you know. And it's then the storied history of of, of the Black Sox and, and etc. was that we are the best, or we have been, and that's a, a big statement. If you're good here, it means globally you you can stand up and, and, and be accounted for. With baseball, we're still trying to find a feat, which is by no fault of trying, etc. but it's um, that's a business where we've looked at a business mould and, and how they go about their analytics, which in turn softball has become stronger. So it's great if people play baseball. That's fine. Both can coexist quite happily, and it's we're both looking for, for success, and softball has probably been... I mean, opened up to a few more resources and ways about going how to strengthen the sport, not always on the field and off the field as well. So that's it, it, they're running along quite well together. It's like uh, some players do try baseball and, and do both, which is which is fine. And then you're only going to end up doing one or the other. So it's uh, everyone has a chance to be great at something they want to do. And if they would think they can move forward in one or the other, then power to them. But softball at the moment, I think, is it's on its way back. Not it never went anywhere, but for being at home. It's going to be in front of everyone for a few weeks to a month, and um, it's going to show how strong we are and how good it can be. I guess that, that that's the question, and it's a bit of an unknown until we you know have some warm up games. But you mentioned that you know with COVID and things, you know the Black Sox really haven't played for uh, what nearly three years internationally. So everybody's been playing each other, but not necessarily playing international style baseball or playing different styles of baseball. Uh, how do you, how are you guys going to uh, combat that and make sure that you're tuned up and ready for November 26? And a lot of our guys, or probably a good near half of them, actually spend their summers, or American summers, our winters, overseas playing in a, in a, um, a the top club league in the States called the ISC Softball um, Constantly, uh, and then um, so a lot of the international players all there, the Argentinians, the Australians, a lot of them are teammates of us. And when we travel over there, so we're quite we've got a lot of familiarity with them. But as a unit, saying that, that as a squad we haven't played together, and it's being a new some new names, you know, eight new caps, seven rookies, etc. Um, we're aware of them. There's been good scouting for the last few years, and then but. A lot of the stuff is a result of what's good off the field, like the culture and building the the, uh, the game plans. And we know what the job is to do. And us coaches as well, that we've been very aware of that what we don't know, we have to go find out if we're unsure of anything. And that's where we base it on. We can't control what we can't control. So we, we're pretty sure of what we've got to handle on. And um, we're excited to get together, but we do have a lot of information from the overseas players. So all we can do is start. And from next week onwards, it, it gets real for once. We're not on a Zoom call or just a training camp. So it'll move quite fast. And then if it doesn't, we've got a lot, enough resources and high-performance sports to, if we have to change tack, because uh, we're not going to be left behind this time, that's for sure. The competition 
that is coming here uh, for November the 26th. Uh, Group A features yourselves, the Argentinians, the US, the Cubans, the Philippines, and your opponents, your first up opponents, the Czech Republic. What do you make of uh, the strength of your group, and, and who do you think is the biggest threat? Well, easily from the outside, in, Argentina are the defending champs, and they are probably a powerhouse in themselves for the last couple of years, obviously winning the the last one, and a lot of their players are based overseas in the American summer as well, which you go through, and they're, they're, they're basically the same kind of culture they're trying to replicate what the Golden Home Black Sox used to have decades back, which is they sat and wait, and, they, and they're just a big sponge, and they're on a roll of, of, of trying to dominate, and then they're, obviously they're the big powerhouse and, the, and the, probably the number one ranked team in our bracket, and then obviously we played the Czech Republic first game, and a few of their players are based overseas as well and the, their number one pitcher as well which is going to be very very tight and they're not trying to take a backward step every team over COVID they kept playing with saying Jean Sopper we didn't get the chance or opportunities through COVID so they've tried to get some good traction and their team unity and closeness they've, they've done a pretty good job so that's where we're making sure we don't lose the game from just being a tight knit in the chemistry from off the field because on the field we've been honing our skills and, and enough of us have been overseas as well so that's probably where it's going to be coming down to. But we still respect them. We're not taking anyone for granted. We are ranking in the out of the top four at this point from lack of playing. But um, the start as soon as we start playing, we're going to show that uh, the rankings won't mean as much as some might think. And then uh, it'll be all on. Yeah, and Group B, of course, uh, looks pretty strong. The Canadians are always strong. So the Japanese, you've got the Aussies in there as well, Venezuela, Denmark and South Africa. Um, when it comes down to it, I mean... Uh, you know, we're we obviously back in the Black Sox to to go all the way in this home World Cup and, and and make the final. Who do you think you'll be facing off in the final? Who's the who's the next best team? Do you think at the moment? Um, personally, I think the Canadians have made a lot of ground. They play the Pan Ams and and they came second to Argentina. So obviously, one's in our bracket. So they've been making good strides and they've been doing a lot of camps and their players have been pretty much standing up front in their summers as well in the in the ISC league as well so from a result and a um, chemistry point they've been quite tight and they've been together probably the most but Australia have always been a good battle horse they'll be probably behind the uh, the arm of Adam Folkard and they've got a lot of experienced players that do play overseas as well and they're, they're a tight knit group it's probably their side of the bracket is more old heads and our side is maybe the, the, the new young guns might make the difference on those sides so it's uh the battle of attrition because one game a day may sound easy but the pressure of it does take a toll out of it and that's where uh, we see how deep the teams get and the depth will be the, the, the difference point coming later in the in the tournament and by the time we do meet one of them rather on a roll or we're starting to get more stronger so that's what we're looking forward to. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I mean you, you think that that uh from what you've just said there, the longer it goes, the maybe the better it is for the teams with their, a bit more youth on their side uh, in terms of fitness and, and being able to play day in, day out at that level? Yeah, that's, it is. It's, it's nice to win the first game of the tournament, but we always like to win the last game of the tournament. Yeah, so, totally. <laughs> you know, that's the little, the little things that is what we can control. We want to be the strongest. Only nine can take the field, but if we've got a whole bench ready to go and, and, and fresh and, and uh, aware of what's ahead of them, that's that will be our strength, I think, and that's the reflection of the team that we've picked. It's you know, it's it's good to go with all experience and yes, there's unlucky players, but we're not here just for one year. 
You know, that's that's how you build dynasties and, and a, a good culture. That's not we're not just doing it for one time only. We're making sure that we can be around for a long time and nothing's perfect. We can't say we're definitely going to win it or, or we're here just to win it, but we're not going to be far off. If, and our, our B game is as good as anyone's A game on our day, I think. Yeah, and, uh, you know, I mean, we, tickets are available now. People can buy tickets November 26th through to December 4th, this World Cup, but also around the country. Uh, great to have the Softball World Cup on TV and free-to-air TV as well on on Māori TV. How much does does that mean to the team that, uh, you know, the whole country will be able to watch and support even if uh, they can't get to the games? Oh, that means a lot. It's a lot of the families inside the squad and the softball community itself, they're, they're really happy about that because it's we're a grassroots sport and it's and for the coverage, it's, it's, a, it's got a grassroots uh, like taste to it, which is it's all we want. We're not trying to put ourselves up in front of everyone. There's a lot of great sports and a lot of World Cups going on at the same time as well, but um, we're just happy that we might get our chance to be seen by people that can't buy a ticket and that's, and what they see, they're going to like. And that's all it is because softball can be forgotten sometimes behind other sports, which is by marketing and, and not everyone gets a chance to see it on TV. So we're, we're really excited about it. It's happened in the past. The last few times that we've been here playing in World Cups, it's, it's amazing how famous you can be for a week. So <laughs> if we could gain, gain some traction, and, and we thrive off it. In the past, New Zealand teams have thrived playing at home. So that's going to be another feather in our cap. Yeah. Hey, Patrick, thanks very much for coming on this morning, mate, and having a chat. I really appreciate your time. Uh, it's been a, a really interesting chat, getting some insight into the camp. I wish you and the guys all the best. No doubt we will talk between now and the start of the tournament, eh? Awesome. Thank you very much, and, and uh, go Black Sox. Go Black Sox indeed. Uh, Patrick Shannon there with us from the Black Sox coaching team. He's the assistant coach there, and uh, you're looking forward to that tournament getting underway November 26. It is 24 past nine here on Mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ. With Ian Smith, and uh, coming up, we're going to be catching up with Ian Anderson from stuff.co.nz, their lead cricket writer, to talk the Cricket World Cup. Uh, just going to update you though, because we have Champions League uh, action on at the moment, and Jacob Spoonley is going to join us after 10 to talk Champions League. Uh, ben Fika are routing uh, Juventus 4 1. Borussia Dortmund currently holding Manchester City to nil all in Germany. Celtic and Shakhtar Donetsk are 1 all at the moment. Uh, AC Milan uh, proving too good for Dinamo Zagreb in. Croatia, that is 4-0. PSG putting Maccabi Haifa to the sword. Uh, two goals for Messi, two goals for Mbappe. Neymar also on the score sheet. PSG 6-2 over Maccabi Haifa out of Israel with 20 minutes still to play. Upset on the cards, RB Leipzig lead Real Madrid two goals to one with 20 minutes left. And uh, earlier, Sevilla got up over FC Copenhagen 3-0. Uh, no Marco Stamenek for them. The All-White was suspended due to yellow cards in the competition, so he didn't play. And FC Salzburg, uh, they gave Chelsea... A uh, bit of a bit of a fright, but in the end, Chelsea too good. Two one winners in Austria it means Chelsea have uh, moved through to the last sixteen of the Champions League. They have confirmed their place. When we come back, we're going to be talking cricket World Cup. Right now, though, it is news and sport with Aroha. <laughs> Twenty-eight away from ten o'clock here on SENZ mornings with Ian Smith and joining us is uh, not Ian Smith but Ian Anderson, the lead cricket writer for Stuff.co.nz. Uh, g'day, Ian. How, how did you go behind the stumps in your day? <laughs> 
I was more of a first slip, even if we were bowling uh, medium pace dribblers seventy overs into the game at high school. Basically, so I could stand behind the uh, behind next to the wicketkeeper who had the transistor behind him, listening to the second leg of the double at Trenton, pretty much. <laughs> uh, good to see, good to see, mate. Um, <laughs> great to hear. Uh, now uh, we've got we're in, the, we're in the throes of a T Twenty World Cup. Uh, of course, the the first uh, game for the Black Caps was that massive win over New Zealand. I was asking people yesterday if they think the hoodoo the Australian hoodoo is done what do you reckon yeah it was a significant win wasn't it Mm. Uh, massively unexpected really and just the manner of which it was done too uh, taking the assault to the host right from the basically the first over and and never letting up it will certainly give them a massive boost of confidence you know it was an aggressive t20 display which I think was probably a little bit different from how they played in the UAE when they made the final. So, yeah, it'd be very interesting to see how they go from here. And obviously it drew a reaction out of uh, out of Australia last night as well too. Yeah, did. They got up um, over, over the Sri Lankans. A few people were, were thinking that that might be a smoky for an upset as well, but no, the Sri Lankans managed to, to get it done. Um, something, I guess, a little bit... I was going to say out of character, I don't know if that's fair, but Gary Stead, Kane Williamson tend to be quite conservative in their selection. So dropping Martin Guptill ahead of this T20 World Cup, uh, which we saw, you know, I guess we got signalled in that Bangladesh-Pakistan tri-series, uh, looks one game in, and get, I know, but it looks like it might actually be a masterstroke. Yeah, it was interesting, wasn't it? I, I, I'd probably always been pushing for for Alan to play, thinking that this World Cup, you have to be more dynamic than what you were on the slower, lower surfaces in, in the UAE last year. But I wasn't too sure whether the Black Caps would take that approach or not, given Guptill's record, and particularly you know, in this uh, in this region rather than, than in the subcontinent at all. I thought possibly in that tri-series they might experiment and, and give both options a try, but obviously they'd made up their mind before that tri-series started that Allen was going to be their go-to up front with Conway and, and gave them all five games. I guess the surprising element of um, Saturday night's game was we knew how he would try to play. We just didn't know if it was possible to be successful against you know, Stark and Hazelwood and, to a lesser extent, Pat Cummings in a, in a World Cup game at the SCG. Yeah, I mean, th- to be fair... If it had been my call, and it's probably why I, I talk on the radio and don't coach the national cricket team, um, I probably would have kept Gupta where he was, put Conway at first, dropped, and, and maybe looked at dropping Williamson because it, it felt like, for me, the T Twenty, the way T Twenty's evolved, it maybe have gone has gone past Kane Williamson's skill set as a batsman. Yeah, I think Williamson's role will be interesting to see as as the tournament progresses. I, I know a lot of people sort of felt the same way. I think possibly maybe on Saturday they could have dropped himself down the order a little bit and that could be a possibility. I still think you need him in there. You know, you look at that, that innings that he played in the final against Australia last year when no one from New Zealand really got going apart from Kane and obviously sometimes he does even play him in a little bit in T20 games which can be dangerous if you then get out before you've got going but even maybe tonight against Afghanistan I think those batting skills might be pretty valuable just to judge how you play the game you know Afghanistan will come at New Zealand from a different way through their spin bowlers and someone like Williamson's skill might might be pretty critical to sort of judge what sort of pass score might be how you bat against them um, yeah so might be a slightly different approach tonight and I think Afghanistan will 
probably take a different approach. And other teams will to Allen now that they've they've had a wee look at him. Yeah, well, I mean that's the thing. The uh, the Afghanis will look to stifle. I mean, I think their biggest problem is that they don't have that much with the bat. You know, their strength is definitely their bowling. So if they win the toss, they'll probably yep. put us in and and try and restrict and and you know make sure that they don't have too much to chase. Um, how? From a New Zealand fan point of view, how worried are you about tonight? Yeah, as you say, definitely their strength is their bowling. You know, Rashid, Mujibi, Muhammad Nabi, their spin attack. Um, they made England's chase of a very small total look a lot more difficult than it should have been in that, in that opening game. And if they could have held their catches, they could have even put a little bit more pressure on, on England. So it will be a different type of game to seeing Stark and Hazelwood and you know, the Australian medium paces, Barzampa. Uh, run in and, and try and knock New Zealand over. So they might have to be a little cautious. And obviously it's a, it's at a different ground as well too, as we remember the hashtag MCG so big. It won't be quite as easy to, to smack sixes everywhere as we saw in that uh, India-Pakistan game. I think there were six threes run in that game, including one of the stumps, and, and you never really see that in the T20. So the approach might have to just be a little bit different against the Afghanistani bowling attack. But as you say... Um, you know, predictable that, that New Zealand wouldn't win. They just have a little bit more batting firepower than, than Afghanistan do. Yeah, I mean, it's that old uh, that old adage of, you know, you have to create the pace against the spin attacks that, that we see. So um, maybe there's different batsmen come into this. I mean, maybe Mark Chapman becomes more important because of the way he plays. Yeah, I think probably we'll see Mitchell back. I would imagine. Um, I see that he's he was declared fit and available for selection yesterday so that will be that will bolster the side too um so he could be a key guy he loves to hit straight and long against the spinners he loves to come down the track and, and hit them back over their head and I, uh, again as he has been for at least a year now conway is probably new zealand's key better uh guy who can tick the scoring rate over well but bat deep into a game too as well too which then allows you yeah, the other hitters to hit out as well too. He's just so reliable. He, you know, he very rarely fails. He very rarely splits, you know, fails to score at least twenty or thirty and bat for, you know, six or seven overs at least to get them going. And is a very good player of spin too. And being a left hander, you know, he'll 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 stop some of that um, assistance that maybe Rashid and, and Mujib will get too. So yeah, so he'll be a key factor. What do you make of Australia uh, at this tournament? I mean, they didn't play Steve Smith against us. That looks like a looked like a mistake with Glenn Maxwell coming in at four. It made their batting look very shallow. Uh, but they didn't rectify that against uh, Sri Lanka, and I know they won. But still, what's what's going on with Steve Smith there? Yeah, they seem to have decided that he's not a T Twenty player. Um, possibly, like some people think, Williamson isn't a T Twenty player for for New Zealand, and and even uh, possibly. South African fans think the same that maybe Bavuma shouldn't be in their side, um, despite the fact that a lot of these guys have captain. Obviously, you've got Finch captain in Australia. And yeah, they went with that side. I'm a little bit surprised, even possibly, that they stuck with Stoinis, although obviously he paid off against Sri Lanka last night, and maybe that Cameron Green, who got brought in as a, as a last-minute replacement for, for Josh English with that injury, could be even a better option there. Uh, it's, it's funny, I, I predicted when we did a, a prediction of, of the team's and likely results in this tournament for stuff last week. I still felt Australia would win this tournament, even though I didn't feel they were a particularly great side. But I probably felt the same way last year in the UAE and they found a way to win. And at home, there's still certainly the capabilities of winning there. But they're not a great side. Um, there are some fallibilities about their team. So, again, they rectified things a bit against Sri Lanka last night, but they're still having to chase that net run rate, whereas 
the Black Caps are, are very comfortable knowing that really they, they just have to win you know, three of their four matches from here out and not worry about that situation really. And if they do, they've got Ireland in the, in the last game of qualifying. Now, we uh, saw Australia last night. They had to chase uh, a reasonable total, but not a ma- massive total. 157 for six the Sri Lankans made. Uh, interesting that the Aussies couldn't actually get them out of there. Um, but as I mentioned, once again, no Steve Smith. But it looks like Aaron Finch has taken on the Smith role. I mean, we know he's been struggling for form, but he carried his bat. He was 31 not out off 42. Uh, strike rate's only 73, but he was very much the guy that they built the innings around and he let everybody else um, you know, attack the bowling. Yeah, it's interesting with Finch, isn't it? I think he's still probably trying to find the best way to, to get his way out of form. He he looked to be a little bit more aggressive. He was he had a good success in that um, final warm-up game against India and then against New Zealand again, went fairly cheaply. I think he's still trying to find the best way for him to play, whether it's to hit his way out of form. And then last night he was you know, just able to, to knock it around once Stoinis got going and Stoinis threw the bat with, Obviously, a, a ton of success, but there was a little bit of luck early on. But that's that's T20. You only need, you know, two or three overs to change the the course of the game. Again, I think they're relying on on Warner to score heavily at the top order, which hasn't happened for them so far. But there's still plenty of games to go in the tournament for for that to change. Yeah, there is. And then, of course, you mentioned Marcus Thornis. I mean, these numbers are crazy reading, aren't they? 59 runs off 18 balls, four sixes, six sixes, a strike rate of 327.77. And when Indu De Silva would have been having nightmares last night, he finished with 53 for none off three overs. Yeah, that was the most interesting about it, I think, wasn't it? That he's their key bowler. Mm. Um, he's he's their best bowler. Um, he's hard to pick with his, with his varieties that he bowls. Uh, and he was very good throughout that um, qualifying group as well too. So interesting as to whether they decided to, to target him and think, well, they couldn't let him t- take terms. Uh, but I think it was more the fact that just, you know, they knew they needed to get their net run rate up and they felt that that total was something that they could go after with, with some with some batters in hand to, to chase that. Yeah, and now this uh, English side, that uh, you know is the team that we haven't really talked about. They beat Australia in a series leading into this T20 World Cup. If you're Australia, how worried are you? Because they need to win out from here, right? So they need to beat the Poms, the team that uh, know that they, you know, this Australian side is fallible. Yeah, that looms as the biggest match of the tournament so far, doesn't it? Particularly in, in New Zealand's group, um, it'll be all eyes on that. As you say, they looked pretty good matched up against Australia in those in those warm-up games. I don't know how much we can take from a warm-up game, I suppose, when we saw that New Zealand got beaten by nine wickets from South Africa and then went in and out and they have it Australia about four days later. So warm-up games are warm-up games, I guess. But, yeah, uh, obviously England have a lot of explosive run-scoring ability up t- through Butler and Hales. And then Milan is a guy who's capable of scoring quickly without looking like he's trying to do so too much. Stokes as well. Uh, Harry Brooks, obviously a very good young player. The question, I suppose, a little bit is possibly against England's bowling attack. They have a lot of good, experienced seamers, sort of crafty bowlers. And then Wood, obviously, is your pace man who'll look to knock players over. But obviously, there's no Joffre Archer there. He hasn't been there for a while. And then they lost Reese Topley's injury just before the tournament started, who was going to be one of their key T20 bowlers as well, too. So that might be a batting matchup game. Yeah, yeah, it could be. It could be. It'll be uh, interesting to see how that goes. We actually get to see England in action uh, today from five o'clock in Melbourne against the Irish, um, and a New Zealand play Afghanistan tonight at nine o'clock in Melbourne. It's a, you would have thought 
the organisers would have looked at this and gone, let's switch those games around because the TV times for UK audiences and, and, and New Zealand audiences would be far better switched around, wouldn't they? What's going on there? Yeah, I'm also wishing they'd be switched around as well. So I'm looking at New Zealand's schedule. I think they've only got one 5pm game the whole qualified New Zealand time. And I'm trying to think what time I'm going to be working till uh, tomorrow morning to write an analysis piece and coverage pieces and things like that. It would be quite nice to have a 5pm game. And as you say, it would uh, certainly suit English TV if they'd uh, be able to get up in the morning and watch their side play. So not too sure exactly what's going on there. It's a little bit like having the All Blacks and Black Ferns playing at the same time, isn't it? Yeah, or the or the All Blacks and the Barbarians uh, and the New Zealand All Bla- the All Blacks have been playing at the same time. But that, that's a whole other conversation yeah. there. Uh, <laughs> yeah. The other group um, that uh, that rained out game in Hobart could be costly for the South Africans, couldn't it? Poor old South Africa. They don't have a lot of luck with rain, do they? Mm. In, in World Cups, it goes a long way back. Um, I, I noticed Bout just say that you know. He was probably happy if anything that had happened in the first game. Now they know from here what they need to do with just getting one point from that game. And I suppose there's a possibility that it could happen to other teams yet as well too. But yeah, that was obviously two points that they should have had that they don't have that they're going to probably have to now... Um, I suppose they probably still had to beat one of Pakistan or India, I imagine. And if they do that... They might be right, depending on other results, but maybe they now have to rely on, you know, either Pakistan or India losing a game to someone else somewhere along the way. Uh, obviously, the the umpires and the match officials tried to get that game done, and you could imagine if you were Zimbabwe, you probably would have been saying, why are we still playing out here just because you feel like, you know, the Proteas should win this game and we're going to give them every opportunity when... I know um, I'm always amongst the, the view with many cricket fans that, you know, they should be able to play through a little bit of rain, but that game, you know, it, it had to be it had to be abandoned. It just wasn't possible to play proper cricket in that. And so, so South Africa were on the wrong side of the, of the, of the, uh, the weather in that. Yeah, they were very much so. And that, that India-Pakistan game, what a finish to that. I mean, I went to bed at uh, the 10th over of the Indian endings thinking, oh, well, this is done. Yeah, I um, I hung in there just watching it sort of uh, out of the corner of my eye for a while, and then just got drawn into it. Um, it was it was an insane match. It had so many interesting bits and pieces to it. Um, <laughs> that final over was was just capped it all off. Was the was the cream on the top? Um, you could have never predicted some of the things that happened in there. Uh, but it was yeah, and played in front of an amazing atmosphere at a massive ground, and it was interesting to see. You know, had just how much pace that MCG wicket had it in as well too. Uh, both quick bowlers uh, for both teams. The quick bowlers for both teams just looked very impressive. Um, you could imagine possibly Lockie Ferguson and Adam Milne sort of licking their lips at the possibility of getting in going. That I understand that the MCG wicket has changed a little bit in recent years. They brought over a groundsman from from Perth um, to look to see if they could spice it up a little bit, and it certainly had plenty of carry and bounce on Saturday night, which may have also been a little bit the result of so how much rain you know, Victoria has had in the last month or so, freshen it up a little bit. So, yeah, it be interesting to see how that plays tonight too. Yeah, it will be. All right, Ian. Hey, listen, thanks very much for your time today, mate. Uh, always great talking cricket with you. Go well and uh, keep up the good work at stuff.co.nz uh, through this World Cup, eh? We're enjoying it. All good. Cheers, mate. Thank you. Uh, Ian Anderson from stuff.co.nz. It is 12 away from 10 on SCNZ. Summer or winter, he's the voice of sport in Aotearoa. This is Mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ.
got to know when to hold them. Know when to fold them. Smithy's multi. Know when to walk away. And know when to run. Bet live on your favourite sports. Download the TAB app today. Yeah, we didn't get to uh, do so well uh, with yesterday's multi. Uh, only one of the three leagues came in. That was Celtic Shakhtar drawing this morning. Uh, so I've, I've looked at that. I've, I've rejigged things. And this is the multi for today. Devin Conway to be New Zealand's top run scorer against Afghanistan tonight at $3.60. And then tomorrow morning, two Champions League games. Napoli at $1.20 to beat Rangers, I think, is nailed on. Club Brugge. Paying three thirty to beat Porto in Belgium, Club Brugge are top of their Champions League group and should progress. So three thirty seems generous odds to me. That returns about fourteen dollars. Get on. Join us on the Good Oil for just that. The Good Oil each Saturday from one pm on SCNZ. Summer or winter, he's the voice of sport in Aotearoa. This is mornings with Ian Smith on SCNZ. Nearly uh, 10 o'clock here on SENZ, your Wednesday morning with uh, Ricardo Ball in for Ian Smith. Uh, Coming up on the show, uh, we are going to be talking in the next hour uh, to Ben Reiter. He writes for Sports Illustrated and he also wrote a book a few years ago called Astro Ball where he looked at the Houston Astros franchise in baseball and how they were building things, much on the on the on basically on the, the same sort of uh, way that the Oakland A's had built things that the Moneyball movie was made on. He predicted in that book that in five years the Houston Astros would win the World Series. They did exactly that. Uh, no one knows more about the Astros Major League Baseball uh, than Ben Ryder. He joins us after 10.30 in the next hour to preview the World Series. Up next, though, Jacob Spoonley, former All-Whites goalkeeper. We're going to talk Champions League, Wellington Phoenix and the Women's World Cup. Fort. From behind the stumps to behind the mic, nothing gets past Smithy. This is Mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ. Three past ten here on Mornings with Ian Smith. Ricardo Ball in for Smithy. Coming up this hour, we are going to be catching up with baseball writer Ben Reiter to talk the World Series. Uh, We're also going to be looking at your Mount Rushmore of sportscasters who were great athletes. Now, there have been plenty of average athletes who have become great broadcasters, plenty of... uh, great athletes who have become average broadcasters, but not many are able to do both. So who are your top four? Your top four, your Mount Rushmore of top sportsmen who have gone on, well, sportswomen who have gone on to become top sportscasters. Um, now, I don't know if he's quite there yet, but a man that is definitely well on the way joins us on the phone now. Uh, Jacob Spoonley, how are you, sir? Average. Where were you going with average uh, athletes and average sportscasters, Ricardo, and then you introduced me. Mate, to be fair, I was I was trying to I was trying to give you the ups. I was trying to so say he's not quite there yet in terms of the Mount Rushmore, but he's on his way. Come on, come on. Absolutely not, Ricardo. Just battling away. Battling away. Battling away, mate. Battling away. That's one for you to think on, Jacob, though. I mean, if you were going to chuck somebody on the Mount Rushmore of uh, top athletes who had become top broadcasters in the sporting realm, um, who'd be up there, do you reckon? Genuinely, I think Ian Smith is one of the um, best uh, broadcasters that we've produced as a country, and he can go toe-to-toe with anyone in the cricket world after a fairly um, impressive 
cricketing uh, career, mate. So um, I'm not here to pump his tyres, but that's my genuine um, thoughts on that particular matter. He's the first person to spring to mind. Um, there's a couple in the NFL that I think you'd be doing well to replicate as well, the likes of Tony Romo and Chris Collinsworth. Um, they, they go all right, mate. They go all right. Okay, that's good. Well, we're going to uh, announce our Mount Rushmore of uh, great athletes who have become great sportscasters. At the end of the show, you can get your thoughts through to us on double eight double three. That is the temper bedpost text machine. Double eight double three. Keen to hear from you. But let's talk football, Jacob. Um, Got to say, disappointed with what we saw out of the Phoenix in Newcastle on the weekend. Although I suppose at least it wasn't four nil, <laughs> <laughs> like it had been the two yeah. games before. Yeah, yeah, no, absolutely. Look, I think when you look at how the Phoenix has started against um, Adelaide United, it was probably a point gained against Central Coast. I think it was two points dropped. And then we saw a pretty average performance out of the team away at uh, Newcastle. For me, the common thread amongst those three matches and the performances in those games has been the defence. It's simply not been good enough. They've conceded six goals in three matches, two of which have been at home. Um, and if you wanted to be nice, you'd say that a number of those goals are preventable, particularly the goals against Central Coast and Newcastle. If you wanted to be harsh, you'd say some of them are soft. And if the Phoenix want to compete in the top four, which they've got the potential to, they really need to give themselves a much more sound foundation. It was interesting. I, I spoke to Ufuk Tale last week on the Phoenix Nation show that we have here on SENZ every Thursday at 3. And I said that I thought that the uh, goal that the Central Coast Mariners went ahead with looked to be uh, a positioning fault from our two uh, defensive midfielders, Ugarkovic and, and Clayton Lewis, because it looked like midfield just opened up um, for, I can't remember who the player was now, to, to, was it De Silva, to, to, to run onto the ball and, and you know, have a shot. Yeah, Silvera, sorry, a, a free shot from the edge of the area. Um, he said he, he thought that those two, even though they're quite similar, can play together. Um, but I think the Phoenix look better with a Pennington or a Roofer alongside either a, a Lewis or a Ugarkovic, a, an out-and-out defensive stopper. You know, you know what I mean. And and I wonder whether or not yep. we, um, you know, that that sort of came to light again against Newcastle with Clayton Lewis getting dragged at halftime. Look, I think um, Tale's finding the right calibration in midfield at the moment. He's got a number of options, which is a great thing to have. He hasn't had that over the last couple of seasons, to be fair, Ricardo. So it's a new issue that he's dealing with. Um, having said that, when Rufa was starting a couple of seasons ago, the Phoenix fans were going apoplectic. How can he be starting? How can he be captain? And I think what we've seen over the last 18 months or so, um, particularly as Alex has gone out with the ACL injury, is that he does bring a lot of leadership to the table. He does bring a lot of those gelling features, the intangibles, as the Americans call them, um, and brings a settling um, element to the Wellington Phoenix. And to your point, even though he missed a large chunk of last season, he still had the, he was still in the top 10, I think it was, for um, interceptions and uh, play broken up. So those stats lived well on, well beyond his participation in last season. And it's not something that's sexy. It's not something that we cut highlights packages off, but it is something that is fundamental because it's a privilege to play with two ball-oriented, uh, ball-playing-oriented players in midfield. And Nico Pennington, for me, was one of the unsung heroes as part of that Adelaide um, performance where he really did not only disrupt play, but he actually intervened in instances to block Zach Clough particularly when he was inside the 18-hour box and looked very dangerous. So... 
I don't have the answers, um, and I do trust Tully to get this right, but there is that point that you make. It's, is the balance quite right at the moment? And if the balance isn't right, then how do you get potentially four players that could play in that midfield into those two spots? And it's going to be a bit of a headache for him. Yeah, I think it is. Uh, I mean, at the moment, I would I would assume that it's going to be a Pennington-Yugarkovic uh, midfield combination this week against Melbourne City. Although, I suppose, I mean... If you want to get a bit football manager on it, um, you could put Tim Payne in there. Um, he's he's done that job before and well, is probably more like Alex Rufer than anyone else we've got. Well, I, I would put this to you, Ricardo, because I think Tim Payne definitely made himself comfortable at the back, either his right back or centre back. So I don't see him necessarily migrating into the midfield. But why wouldn't you play Clayton Lewis and Nico Pennington? A combination that was settled last year, with Clayton Lewis being one of the decisive factors about when the Phoenix got into back into matches um, early in this season and being one of the performers, not a, potentially a standout performer over the last um, couple of seasons. Yes, Yudakovic is a player that's got a wonderful A-League pedigree and has potential, but if he's not quite ready, why wouldn't you go back to what you know? Mm, yeah, that's actually just a really good point, mate. That's a really good point. Hey, uh, let's talk some uh, Champions League, mate, because uh, we had a full uh, well, half around this morning, got another half round tomorrow, and, man, uh, some interesting results this morning, particularly Real Madrid losing away at Leipzig. A great result for RB Leipzig, and it does throw that, uh, that um, group into a little bit of chaos, really, if you want to be uh, kind on Leipzig. Um, they could potentially knock off Real Madrid in the last game of the season, the last game of the group stage, sorry. Um, and that would be a wonderful result for them. Real Madrid did grow back into the game, and I thought um, the eyebrow Carlo Ancelotti would bring that calmness and coolness, and that would um, allow uh, Real Madrid to get back into the match and potentially uh, secure a draw, but that simply didn't happen. Um, and then, unfortunately, uh, Celtic, um, Al Ange Postacoglu in that group as well, um, I say Al, I'm going to say Antipodi and, and Postacoglu, um, didn't quite get the win that he was looking for. Um, so it does look like Celtic, unfortunately, won't be able to make their way into the uh, Europa League, which is, I guess we were hoping that they would um, fall at the end of the group stage and continue on that European story. Yeah, I mean, it's uh, that it was a good result against Shakhtar, but when you're at home and you lead 1-0, you should put that away. But I think Shakhtar are a team that really have surprised this year, mate. I mean, you look at the amount of players they lost. Obviously, they're not being able to play in the Ukraine. They're having to play in Poland. Uh, they lost all their Brazilians. So this is a core of guys that have come through the youth system at, at Shakhtar. They're predominantly all Ukrainian. Um, I had them bottom of this group easily and then thought that with Leipzig misfiring in the Bundesliga, Celtic were a chance to get second spot. But boy, couldn't have got that more wrong. <laughs> well, I, I think that speaks to the quality of European football. Ange Postacoglu, um, it wasn't defensive, but he was... Um, very certain that his Celtic side hadn't played badly at all throughout the group stages and um, they wouldn't change the way that they played uh, to kind of um, bow down to what are perceived to be much better opponents in the group. Um, <clears throat> so they will go out of the group the way they uh, qualified for it. But Shakhtar Donetsk, I think, is probably an unsung story, a subplot of the Champions League this season. And wouldn't it be fantastic if someone's got a camera and has followed them around their preparation how they've dealt with the adversity of uh, playing in a war-torn country and also representing the country. Because Ukraine hasn't qualified for the World Cup, they are effectively the default um, 
national team at the moment, and they're doing a wonderful job of representing the Ukraine in the Champions League. You're not wrong, mate. They're doing a fantastic job of that, uh, and it, and it is great to see, as you said. Now we um, also have um, a bunch of games coming up tomorrow as well, and that is uh, going to be interesting because uh, there there are more places on the line for the next round of uh, the Champions League. And I, I want to get from you um, f- how, from a Liverpool fan point of view. How worried are you about being able to get a result in Holland tomorrow against Ajax, given how the form in the league has been for Liverpool? It's been up and down. And I think we touched on this a few weeks ago, Ricardo. They tried something new. They went to a different formation. They tried to be very expansive. Um, I think Pep Linders, the assistant coach, was a big influence in that. It hasn't worked. Now Klopp is adjusting. He really is pivoting away from that start to the season. Um, he's still been affected by injuries, but we've seen a much more um, a, a tighter Liverpool formation. They're much more compact, and they are playing very much through the centre game, which is where they made so much fruit um, over the last couple of seasons. Going to Ajax up against a another youthful, technical Ajax team um, with an absolutely jumping um, Amsterdam stadium is going to be an interesting proposition. Uh, I think uncertainty probably is the prevailing uh, feeling, Ricardo. <laughs> Not confidence at all, but it's a European night that we will enjoy um, where two of the teams with massive European pedigree are going to go toe-to-toe uh, in Amsterdam tomorrow morning. Well, I mean, a draw here for Liverpool will will uh, guarantee them a place in the next round. Um, but if they lose this, Ajax have to play Rangers last game of the season, and you know, Rangers have been... Average is doing them a service, a kindness, I think. Uh, and Liverpool will have to play Napoli. So One. it's it's all on the line here, <laughs> isn't it, tomorrow? Yeah, Gordon Glenn Watson needs to plug his ears. Zero points, one goal for, 16 against for Rangers in this group. So they're very much the beating boys of uh, Group A. Um, you're right, though. If Liverpool do slip up tomorrow, it creates an interesting curtain call um, where Napoli could effectively knock Liverpool out by going to Anfield and... Um, <clears throat> and taking the game to them. Equally, they could simply say, look, we've won the group off the back of um, our first five games, so they could send in uh, the youngsters. Um, It really is all up in the air, and that is why we do love Champions League football, because Ajax, although they're on the back foot, they simply aren't out of this group at the moment. No, they're not. They're not. And uh, yeah, it's a game I'm looking forward to uh, watching tomorrow. I just wish I could watch it with you, so I could kind of have one eye on just watching you squirm, Jacob, as the game goes on. (laughs) <laughs> that schadenfreude is, is horrible Can we talk about Group C though mate Because the supposed people's club Are sitting in third with four points They owe the Spanish people A huge amount of tax And they could be knocked out of the Champions League And I would love to see that Going full Kevin Keegan on you <laughs> Yeah Barcelona of course Up against Bayern tomorrow I mean I look at Barca's results in Spain They look pretty good You know, Knock it, them out Ricardo out. How's this for a stat, though, Jacob? 11 games in La Liga this season. They've only conceded four goals, and three of those were in the Clasico against Real. Here's the Champions League uh, record for you, Ricardo. Four games, one win. That's yeah. all I need to hear. And they're up against Bayern Munich, the, uh, the German juggernaut, uh, who could potentially steamroll them and really um, put them into further trouble financially by knocking them out of the Champions League, which will mean that they not only miss 
their share of the prize money, but potentially they will also miss huge incentive payments, which will be paid out by their sponsors. So this is a massive game for the Blaugrana. Yeah, well, exactly. And it's, it's a must win, as you say, because Internationale, uh, Inter Milan, uh, play Victoria Pleasant in Milan, and Pleasant are four games, four losses, conceded 16. They're doing a Rangers. And I think that's it, mate. Like, Barcelona are only going to set themselves up um, with a win tomorrow for a knockout game against Inter Milan where they'll have to win again. We can assume that Inter Milan is going to knock off Victoria Pleasant, and that I think is what we're talking about here. So the guillotine could fall on Barcelona's vote, even with a draw. Yeah, well, that that is true. We've got a text from Chris, who I don't know who Chris supports, but um, he is engaged in full schnadenfreude here, Jacob. He said, surely Liverpool will have one eye on the relegation uh, battle against Leeds on the weekend. The relegation battle. Why are we picking up players from Leeds at the end of the season, Ricardo? Is that what Chris is implying? I think it might be. I think it might be. Yes. <laughs> I, I did. Incredibly I, kind. I did have to say. Uh, I, I had to have a laugh, and I know this is. Uh, I've got a, a, a couple of good mates that we have a chat group. One's Chelsea. One's Leeds. Uh, so you can imagine how how that flies around. Uh, my Chelsea mate was like, "Oh, our, our our run before the end of uh, before the World Cup is terrible. We got uh, Arsenal, uh, we got Brighton away, so it's the Potter Derby. We got Arsenal, and then we got Newcastle away. You know, terrible." And our Leeds, uh, our Leeds supporting friends said, "Well, you think you've got it bad? We've got uh, Spurs, Man City, and Arsenal. I think in three of our next five games, and Newcastle. I think for four of our next five games, uh, to which." My Chelsea supporting friend said, oh, i make the most of it. It certainly beats Reading, and Millwall and Watford. Are you going to be playing this time next year? <laughs> if we turn to, if we turn to um, the Premier League, mate, just quietly, mm. Newcastle United are doing a fantastic job. Obviously, our Chris Wood is in the black and white, the Magpies. They've just stepped, their way, stepped into the top four, Ricardo. So they've jumped in the elevator, mate. They're heading north with Eddie Howe. And I'm not sure if they're going to stay there over the course of the season, but he is doing a stunning job of navigating not only the pressure that comes with the new money from Saudi Arabia, but also um, the pressure that comes from the Premier League and the ultra-competitiveness of the environment. If you look at Liverpool, who are eight, um, and they have played one less game, but they're going, going to go nowhere near Newcastle. They'll only get 19 points compared to Newcastle's 21 if they win their catch-up game. That just demonstrates how quietly he is going about his business um, up at Tyneside. Uh, I think a real uh, performance to note from a wonderful manager. Yeah, and just on that, on Chris Wood, um, I, I can see him back at Leeds in January, mate, to be honest. He, he's not getting the game time at Newcastle, and uh, Patrick Bamford at the moment couldn't hit a fly on a cow's ass with a banjo, so they, they Leeds ne- desperately need a striker. Yeah, he's been giving cameo appearances in um, the later stages of games, obviously thought of very highly by Eddie Howe, but Callum Wilson is very much the favourite uh, north, so you do have to wonder where Woodsy will go. And um, particularly when Isak has back fit, right? When Isak comes back from yeah, injury, exactly, mate. And I think what we we fail to understand at times is that we see Chris Wood, we see him playing in the Premier League, we see him getting paid a huge salary, um, and we think, oh yeah, he should be comfortable with that. He's not. He wants to play games. He is. He wants to play games, and he wants to score goals. So. You, you do not get to be in those environments without um, having the pointy hours and without being ultra-competitive. So um, I'm not sure if he's looking around at the moment, mate. I don't have any inside word on that, but um, it is something very much that I think is a possibility.
Uh, before we let you go, Jacob, uh, we should talk Women's World Cup. I know you were at the draw. I was at the draw. It was a, a fantastic occasion, mate. Uh, so all, all the great and the good of world football were there. Um, what do you make of the draw for New Zealand, uh, for the football ferns and for New Zealand, which are two different things? For New Zealand, mate, I genuinely don't think we're ready. I think we've had the Women's Cricket World Cup. I think we've had, we're currently hosting the Women's Rugby World Cup which seems to be starting to spread, it wings, spread its wings and taking flight. I don't think we're ready for the, for the World Cup. The USA versus Netherlands game, which is a repeat of a final, I believe, Ricardo, uh, has sold out within half an hour, I understand. It is amazing. And that's going to be played in Wellington um, during the height of uh, winter. <laughs> you could have a southerly, but you uh, experience the heat of a match played between two of the teams that were previously in a final. Um, the Dutch are going to come down. They're going to storm down and take the capital. The Americans will also want to do a land grab there. Um, I don't think we're ready. I don't think we're appreciating the, the mass and the way in which the world is going to come to our shores. And I really do hope those that are in charge, particularly in our councils, and those that are facilitating the fan engagement are prepared for it because they're probably looking at the Cricket World Cup, which is affected by COVID. They're probably looking at a Rugby World Cup, which seems to be evolving before our eyes and saying, oh, yeah, that's about the benchmark. No, no, the benchmark is around about 50 times what we're currently experiencing. Um, and we've not only got group stages to host, but we've also got knockout games and a semi-final to host, which are going to be spectacles. We saw record-breaking crowds and attention and investment in the match in France. We saw the game effectively... Um, evolved before our eyes and almost going to compete with uh, men's numbers during the Euros and the way in which England was said it went about doing their business. Why do we think it's going to be any different for New Zealand? And that's the thing that I'm currently trying to wrap my head around, having been to the draw and having seen um, the way in which FIFA invests. Why do we think it's going to be different? Um, and I can't wait for it, but I just hope that we're ready, Ricardo. Yeah, yeah, same, mate. Same, same. I think uh, it is going to blow some records. Uh, I mean, for for all the attendance records that the uh, for for women's sport that the Rugby World Cup is breaking, I think those are going to get smashed uh, when the Football World Cup gets here next year, and that is to be celebrated, mate. Good stuff, Jacob. Thanks for coming on uh, to this morning, mate. Always good to chat. Lovely. Thank you very much, Ricardo. Average broadcaster and very average footballer signing off for our Wednesday morning, mate. Oh, I thought you were talking about me then. Cheers, uh, Jacob Spoonley with us. 23 past 10. Uh, keep your text coming through. Double eight, double three. Sportscasters who have been great athletes, great sportscasters who have been great athletes. Uh, that is our uh, Mount Rushmore today, and uh, we want to hear from you on that. Keep them coming through. We'll get to some of those next at 24 past 10 on SCNZ. Summer or winter, he's the voice of sport in Aotearoa. This is Mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ. It's 10.29 here on Mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ. You can text us, double eight double three. That is the temper bedpost text machine. Temper and bedpost range of mattresses and adjustable bases adapt to the exact shape of your body so you can put your head and feet up in comfort. We are looking for the Mount Rushmore of great athletes who have become great sportscasters. Plenty of average athletes became great sportscasters. Plenty of great athletes became average sportscasters, but not many did both. Uh, so we want to hear from you on that double eight double three.
three as we put together our Mount Rushmore. This one from Anthony. Hi, Ricardo. John Kerwin and Ian Smith in terms of analysis, and I've always enjoyed Ian Chappell and Warney. Yeah, I think Warney might probably get a few nods. Hi, Ricardo. I've always loved Jackie Stewart. Had one of those classic voices that forever connected him with motorsport. Cheers, Cookie. Yeah, cheers, Cookie. He's uh, one of the great F1 drivers, of course, and and commentators as well. Uh, Zaid has also texted through. He uh, likes, well, he said here, Ian Smith, Justin Marshall, Alan Shearer, Michael Owen, Grant Elliott. That's 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 more than four, Zaid. And I'm assuming that the Sonny Bill Williams one is a, is a mistype because, yeah, I'm just going to leave that there. Uh, but thanks for your text, Zaid. Um, morning, Ricardo. Uh, Jeremy Coney, absolutely brilliant. Ian Smith, rugby, cricket and golf. Peter Lester on his sailing as well. Um, Dave, you've put me in there, mate. I was a less than average sportsman, but thank you. Thanks for the shout. Yeah, I was curious there. Uh, is shredding guitar solos a sport? Uh, no, no, not really. Not hmm. really. I mean, I played... Uh, I played up to National League in football in New Zealand, but I wouldn't say that makes me a great athlete. Yeah, I I mean, I believe my dad did as well, but yeah, same thing. He wouldn't call himself a great footballer either. No, no, exactly. Uh, This one uh, from Duncan. Hi, Ricardo. For me, Roy Keane. He tells it like it is. He's worth listening to, and he wasn't a bad footballer either from Duncan. No, you're right there, Duncan. Great footballer and great analysis. Keep them coming through. Double eight, double three. latest in news and sport from Aroha, and then we get into Ben Ryder out of the US talking the World Series. Twenty-seven away from eleven here on SENZ mornings with Ian Smith, Ricardo Ball in the hot seat for him. Well, he is at the T Twenty Cricket World Cup. Uh, the World Series is uh, going to start this weekend. It's not too far away. The Houston Astros are representing the American League up against the Philadelphia Phillies from the National League. Joining us to talk about this and uh, give us some predictions and, and and some context for this matchup is the author of Astro Ball, one of the great sports books uh, about the Houston Astros and. How how they turn that franchise around. Also the host of the Edge podcast as well, Ben Ryder. G'day, Ben. How are you? I'm good. How are you? Yeah, good to chat, man. Good to chat. Are you uh, are you fizzing? Are you fizzing for this for this World Series? I mean, <laughs> you're the man that a few years ago predicted the, the rise of the Astros, and, and here they are again, uh, their fourth World Series in the last six years. It's remarkable, really, that over the last six years, as you say, they'll have been in the World Series more often than they haven't, right? I mean, this is not how modern baseball is supposed to go, right? It, the, the Astros are essentially as close to a dynasty, even though they've only won one World Series. Uh, they're as close to a dynasty as you're likely to see in Major League Baseball in this era. And in fact, this was the design uh, that I wrote about, wrote about uh, eight years ago at this point, when they were the worst team Uh, in 50 years in baseball. The idea was to build a team that could get into the postseason tournament again and again and again, uh, have those rolls of the dice. And uh, if you get in enough times, you'll come away winning uh, a few. They're about to take their shot at winning their second in the last six years against the Philadelphia Phillies. How does the American baseball public feel about the Astros given the controversy of the last couple of years? 
Right. Well, the controversy you're referring to, of course, is that that one championship they won in 2017 was clouded by the fact that they were cheating. Right. They were Mm. stealing the signs of the opposing pitchers. Uh, So essentially, the hitters knew what type of pitches uh, they were going to hit. Uh, This was arguably the biggest baseball uh, scandal in modern history. It certainly tainted that championship. uh, And everybody who's not in Houston still views the Astros as cheaters, you know, even though when you look at this roster compared to that one, there's only three hitters left on the team from 2017 uh, and two pitchers. So uh, it's really a, a turned over roster. Uh, and the fact that they've been able to sustain this winning while, you know, going through that many changes is pretty remarkable. Must have been a lot of neutral baseball fans very torn when they were going head to head with the evil empire in the uh, American League <laughs> pennant game. Yeah, well, actually, you'd think so, right? Most of the baseball public uh, tends to root for whoever is playing the Yankees, playing against the Yankees, if they're not Yankees fans themselves. Uh, However, you know, in this case, uh, everybody was rooting for the Yankees, it seemed like, in part because they're playing the Astros, and in part because the Astros have had the Yankees number in the playoffs year after year after year although perhaps never uh, to such a degree of domination as this year when they beat them four games to none, swept them away as if they were nothing. Yeah, well, they, I mean, that's the thing. They did. They absolutely swept the Yankees, and in such a pivotal series, not just in you know a, a regular season series. Um, what does that say? Because I mean, once again, the Yankees probably have the most expensive roster running around in the league, maybe outside of the Dodgers. Right. No, they absolutely uh, destroyed them, really. And I think it speaks to the Astros' strength. First of all, the pitching uh, is extraordinary. They have the best pitching staff of the American League. Of course, their ace, their number one is Justin Verlander, who is one of those five holdovers from the 2017 championship. But the pitching staff is just incredibly deep. Um, You know, the Astros really have no flaws if you look at their roster overall. But if you had to pick a strength, it would certainly be that deep pitching staff, uh, and that's really what the Phillies are going to have to contend with. Uh, if they're able to hit some home runs, and the Phillies do have some real sluggers, you know, guys like Bryce Harper, Kyle Schwarber, who led the National League in home runs, uh, Nick Castellanos, Reese Hoskins. If they can run into a bunch of home runs against the Astros, then this might be a different story. But that seems unlikely the way the Phillies, have been, uh, the way the Astros, I should say, have been pitching. Yeah, they've been pitching very well. They're, they're certainly. Um... You're going to look like they should win uh, the World Series, especially with you know the way they swept the Yankees. Their regular season, what 106 wins in the in the regular season, the second most winning team uh, in the regular season. On the flip side, I mean the Phillies, it's kind of a bit of a fairy tale, isn't it? I mean uh, the last team to qualify for postseason uh, fired a manager during the season, yet here we are talking about them in the World Series. Yeah, it's it's an amazing story. You know, it's it's worth noting that in any season in the history of Major League Baseball before this one, the Phillies would not even have made the playoffs, right? This is the first year of the expanded playoff structure in which six teams from each league make it. The Phillies were the sixth in the National League, um, and they've run all the way here to the World Series. But, you know, one thing I think your listeners have to understand if they're not overly familiar with baseball is that, you know, the playoffs aren't really designed to crown the best team, right? 
they're designed to be entertaining and of course to emerge with the champion but in baseball any team can beat any other team in a short series in a best of five series in a best of seven series it's very randomizing i mean you look at the regular season the astros were 106 wins against 56 losses the phillies were 87 wins against 75 losses that's a big difference but you have to realize that means the astros only win as good as they are they only win 65 percent of their games uh, that means that, you know, w- when you shrink that long season down to a few hotly contested games, um, they could lose th- four of seven pretty easily. Yeah, well, they could. They could. And I mean, you talked about the hitting of Bryce Harper. I mean, they broke the bank for him when they signed him for the Nationals a few years ago. Um, and it hasn't, well, I was going to say he hasn't really delivered, but it hasn't really uh, made an impact for the Phillies in terms of penance and things like that. We've we finally seen that move pay off. We have. And look, he personally um, has been excellent, right? Like as a Philly, this has been a really good free agent signing. Bryce Harper, of course, one of the most famous baseball players in the world. And they paid him like it. They gave him a 13-year contract for $330 million. Uh, Pretty good if you're Bryce Harper. But unusually these days, the Phillies have actually done really well with these big free agent signings. Like a lot of times teams resort to you know trying to spend a lot on a free agent as almost a desperation move the astros have built their team the other way they've developed young players through the minor leagues and kept them in the long term by and large and they have not spent big on too many free agents uh for the phillies it's more than just bryce harper it's kyle schwarber they signed for a four-year 80 million dollar contract it's zach wheeler the pitcher five years 118 million nick castellanos five years 100 million they have spent big on free agents this has not been typically the way the teams have built winners actually but it's certainly working out for the Phillies. It is working out for the Phillies. I mean, it's worked pretty well for the Astros. Is there anybody else in American baseball or Major League Baseball looking, I guess, at what the Astros have done? I know the Astros took the the, the Oakland Athletics Moneyball model and kind of tweaked it. Is anybody else looking to do the same that you're noticing? <laughs> Everybody's looking to do the same thing. <laughs> there's more than one. There's every single team, you know, even with the Astros, being the villains of the league for the reasons we discussed, uh, they are at the same time the model franchise as far as to how to build a major league team, how to sustain a winning major league team. Uh, this is what I wrote about in my book, Astro Ball, which came out in 2018, four years ago, and it remains to be true. The way that they have you know, replacement player after replacement player after replacement player coming up through their minor league system, replenishing the major league roster uh, has, has maybe never been done before, really, at least not in the modern era of baseball. So, yes, there's many, many teams who are trying to do the Astros have done, but uh, it's hard to point to another one. Uh, maybe the Dodgers, uh, who whose luck ran out in the playoffs this year, uh, who have had a similar success with it. Yeah, I mean the the Dodgers story was an interesting one. 111 wins in regular season, and and then and then lose to the Padres the way they did. Uh, I would imagine, given the way that uh, sport is, uh, somebody at the Dodgers has already lost their job. <laughs> um, uh, uh, how 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 are the other teams? Uh, you know, the other big teams. You know, I mean the Red Sox finished bottom of their division. Uh, the Dodgers. M- had that season but then lost at the first hurdle. I mean, how are they reacting to what's going on at the moment and what changes do you think we'll see ahead of next season? I mean, it's kind of what I was saying before, right? I actually don't think a team like the Dodgers will will make any big sweeping changes 
based on, you know, a short playoff series loss. Like, that's just not the way. If you're on the right track, if you're building a team that, you know, wins the most games in the regular season every year or close to it, and, you know, gets a bit unlucky in a playoff series and the season's over, that does not mean you should blow it up and start from scratch. All you, What you're really trying to do is what the Astros have done, which is get in that postseason tournament as many times as you can, year after year. And then, you know, one Major League Baseball executive called it a coin toss competition in the playoffs, right? Like, you go through this long regular season, you win all these games, and then, you know, when the trophy is to be decided, it basically comes down to a bunch of coin tosses. And if you have heads, you hope heads comes up more than tails. That is the structure of baseball right now, for better or for worse. Uh, one of the big names in baseball, Ben, is, of course, Aaron Judge. 62 homers this season, which is an American League record. He is set to become a free agent. Um, I mean, the, the great story. Uh, from a from a sports point of view, and I imagine from your point of view, would would be how great would it be if the Red Sox managed to somehow tempt him to Boston, uh, given given that <laughs> uh, that uh, uh, rivalry. But where do you think we're going to see Judge playing his baseball next year? Is it still going to be in the pinstripes? Yeah, the odds are that he'll he'll return to the Yankees. I think you know they had a chance to sign him to a long term contract. They were in negotiations. Before this past season, they couldn't get it done, and then all he did was produce what is, by many measures, the many measures, the greatest offensive season for a hitter ever. Right. So his price has certainly gone up. The Yankees are probably kicking themselves at this point. Uh, he is looking at one of the largest, if not the largest, contracts in the history of the sport. There are only a few teams that can offer him that financially. The Red Sox are one. A lot of people think that the San Francisco Giants will be a player for this. And the fact that he is from uh, Northern California, where they play. Of course, the Mets, the crosstown Mets, would be equally painful for the Yankees as the Red Sox. The Mets owner, Steve Cohen, is the wealthiest owner uh, in baseball, so he could also pay basically whatever he wants. Um, I would say that the odds are that he's going to return to the Yankees, Aaron Judge, but it is not a certainty. And that's a scary thought indeed for the Yankees because, look, like as much money as they spent— Without his season this year, they might not have even been a playoff team. That's how influential and powerful and productive Aaron Judge was. Mm, yeah, it's an intro. Oh, look, I'm looking forward to seeing how that ends up. Hey, Ben, thanks very much for coming on and having a chat. I know you're a busy man, and uh, it's only going to get busier uh, as the weekend approaches and the World Series approaches. Thanks very much for your time, and enjoy that World Series. Anytime, thank you. Cheers, Ben Ryder, there, a baseball writer and Astro Ball. Yeah, great book. If you if you love reading sports books, you want to understand baseball more, then uh, get that uh, Astro Ball book. Uh, definitely worth a read. Fourteen away from eleven here on SENZ. He's the voice of sport in Aotearoa. This is mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ. 9 away from 11 here on SENZ. Mornings with Ian Smith. Ricardo Ball in for you. We've got our Mount Rushmore today. We're talking about great sportscasters who were great athletes. Uh, As I've said, there have been plenty of average athletes who have become great sportscasters and plenty of great sports uh, athletes who have become average sportscasters, but not often those two go hand in hand. So 8833 is the temper bed post text machine. Get them through and let us know as we build our Mount Rushmore of uh, great sportscasters who were formerly great athletes as well. Uh, Tell you, all the Super Rugby teams have started announcing their squads. Uh, I think the 
Blues squad is out, the Hurricanes squad is out. Uh, yet to hear about the Crusaders, Highlanders, and Moana Pacific squads, but I do know the Chiefs squad was released this morning, and uh, Coach Clayton McMillan was talking about that earlier. Really happy with the 2023 Gallagher Chiefs squad. Um, I think the the key feature is really its continuity. So you know, we've got a young squad, and I think we've only brought in four or five new players, which is fairly uncommon at the Chiefs over the last few years. So the fact that we've got a lot of continuity and building some great cohesion um, in the squad, and yeah, a number of those young guys that are you know were 21, 22 have now got three or four campaigns under their belt, and I think that puts us in, in really good stead. You know, we just keep working hard and we'll we'll get what we're prepared to earn. Um, but I am really happy with the, the balance of the squad. I think it's the most balanced squad that I've had the ability to, to coach here at the Chiefs. We've been working towards this point over the last couple of years, so you know, without wanting to make any bold predictions, I'd be I'd be disappointed if we didn't feature at the back end of the season. There you go, so Clayton McMillan backing uh, his squad, and uh, yeah, it's interesting, some of the moves that they have made, uh, some of the new names in there, uh, Peniasi Mali Mali from Counties Manukau has been signed, George Dyer, who uh, I think plays uh, NPC for Waikato, Jared Prophet out of uh, the Naki as well, and some of the players that they have attracted north, uh, one of those we heard about earlier in the week with uh, Manaki Selby Rickett, who had been part of the Highlanders setup. He has gone north to add to their locking strength. Man, their locking strength is just superb. I mean, you've got Brody Retallick, right? Uh, you've also got Josh Lord when he comes back uh, from his injury. You've got Tupu Vai'i in there as well. Uh, they have got some real depth at uh, at Loch Lachlan. Uh, McFonnell is uh, McWonnell as well, I should say, uh, is in there, and uh, they're looking really deep across the park. So yeah, that Chiefs team looking all right. Keep an eye out for them. Uh, and I uh, see they've managed to get um, Punavai up from Canterbury as well to add to their uh, centre and outside back stocks. It is coming up six away from 10 here on SENZ. Summer or winter, he's the voice of sport in Aotearoa. This is Mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ. We're a minute away from 11 o'clock. Keep your texts coming through. We are looking for our Mount Rushmore of great athletes who have become great sportscasters. Double eight double three is the text line. Now, this one has come through from Stilo in Dunedin. Great commentators, Brian Waddle, cricket, Jason Pine football, Ray Warren rugby league. Uh, yeah, great commentators, no argument, but they've got to have been great athletes as well. And as much as I love Piney, I don't think uh, the over-35s for whoever he plays for in Wellington quite counts. Uh, Neil Compton, though, V8 Supercars, good shout, Steelo. So thank you uh, for contributing that one. Uh, Steels, I don't know if he's any relation to Steelo, but Steels has texted us. Uh, he has said, uh, Ian Smith and John Drake. Yeah, John Drake, he, uh, former All Black and Auckland prop, was a great journalist as well, great writer, wrote some very good opinion pieces. And this one, no name on it, but I uh, can't argue with these. Richie Benno, there's a name, a former Australian captain, of course, an iconic commentator. Ian Smith. And Peter Crouch. Keep them coming through. Double eight, double three. Great athletes who became great sportscasters. After news and sport, it's the panel. From behind the stumps to behind the mic, nothing gets past Smithy. This is Mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ. Big talk, big opinions, the panel. Talk, talk, talk to me, yeah.
It is three past 11 here on SENZ Mornings with Ian Smith. Time for the panel and Guy Havelt and Andrew Gordy join us, uh, two of the, the great sporting minds of our time. G'day, gentlemen. How are we? Morning, Ricardo. Not too bad, mate. That's a hell of a G up for the pair of us. We're talking today, we're we're doing our Mount Rushmore today of great athletes who have become great sportscasters. And there's there's not that many because there's plenty of average athletes who went on to be very good broadcasters and, you know, uh, great sportsmen who became very average broadcasters. But doing both, uh, it takes some doing. So, you know, uh, I don't know about your sporting accomplishments, but uh, definitely up there in the broadcast stakes, uh, the, the peer review. Um, we'll get we'll get to that a little bit later. If you, you can marinate on that through the panel and we'll, we'll get your takes on the Mount Rushmore at the end. Um, one thing that has come to light today is Super Rugby squad announcements for 2023. We've seen that from the Blues, the Chiefs and the Canes so far. Uh, we'll start with you, Andrew. Any, anything that stood out to you? Anything that's popped that's made you go uh, raise an eyebrow? Well, gee, I know there's certainly going to be a few people excited about the addition of uh, one Brett Cameron to the Hurricane squad. A uh, huge coup, I would have thought, for the uh, for the men from the 04. Um, and obviously, uh, I think we're anticipating the return of Willie Hines. But um, in case you can't really tell, I mean, there's obviously Rob Rush as well, son of uh, Eric Rush. In case you can't tell, I'm finding it really hard to get excited about Super Rugby squad announcements. Um, it's almost like, what's the point? What, what is the point of these Super Rugby squad announcements? And I know we've been talking about this for, for a long time, but I think New Zealand rugby really needs to have a good think about this. There's nothing engaging. There's nothing engaging at all about uh, these Super Rugby squads that have been announced today. And I, I think it's we're long overdue for some kind of draft system, aren't we? We're mm. like, you know, we, we, there's so much effort um, and, and attention, I suppose, put on secondary school rugby, right, uh, in this country. And, and, and fair enough, like, just like there is, you know, college football in the US and college basketball in the US, et cetera, et cetera. What, why not create some kind of draft system for the kids who are exiting high school, coming into, um, into super rugby, coming into, or, or even XT rugby, but, but coming into super rugby, um, why not have kids who are saying, yep, when I turn 18, um, I'm going to be intending to enter Super Rugby, and, and I'm up for grabs, kind of thing. Um, that way, I think we'd have some genuine interest. We'd have we'd have proper player movements. Um, there's got to be a way uh, to come up with a system that will allow for that, because I, I just think the product desperately needs it. And what's wrong with that as a pathway for our young rugby players in this country? Yeah, I mean, I think that's uh, something uh, that is definitely worth exploring. I think it's something that Justin Nelson uh, has floated, who, of course, ex-general uh, manager of the New Zealand NBL. Uh, guy, I mean, I, I looked at it, and the thing that stood out to me is, um, you know, two of the more promising players out of the Highlanders have moved to the Chiefs. Uh, and, and, and you know, you get a George Bridge, who I thought was a perfect sort of uh, option for someone like the Highlanders to, to be able to get and guarantee playing time if you wanted to get back in the All Blacks. They haven't been able to do that. And, and I worry for the Highlanders? Are they, are they going to fall on a hole, do you think? Well, I mean, on the George Bridge side of things, he's been offered pretty decent money, I suspect, over in Europe. He's always going to take that, isn't he, when he's, when he's out of love for the All Blacks. Look, I could not care less about the Super Rugby squads. I genuinely could not care less at this time of the year about who is going to be named in whatever Super Rugby squad it might be. We've got a great Cricket World Cup on at the moment. We've got a superb Women's Rugby World Cup on right now. We've got the Spring Carnival over in Australia in terms of racing. There is so much more sport that is so interesting at the moment, and we're getting 
Super Rugby squads in October named. I mean, I, I, I honestly, I don't know how to say this anymore. I could not care less about what's happening with Super Rugby right now. Excellent. All right, there we go. So two of the great minds in New Zealand sport don't care about Super Rugby at this time of the year. We've established that here on the panel. Uh, let's talk, you mentioned, Guy, the, uh, the, the Rugby World Cup. And is this, uh, I, I know they don't have goals in rugby. Uh, so is this an own try from Mark Robinson, the CEO of New Zealand Rugby, that he's going to be at the All Blacks versus Japan, a test I don't think anyone cares about rather than the, the Black Ferns quarterfinal on our, on our own patch? Yeah, it massively is. Uh, I think this is a huge mistake by New Zealand Rugby. Uh, it's, well, in saying that, I don't know if it was New Zealand Rugby calls or, or Japan uh, JRU's call in terms of when this game was scheduled, but you would have thought that New Zealand rugby would have some clout in terms of what time kickoff was, at least. Uh, I find this um, really poor. To be honest, we've got a Women's World Cup that at the moment is going very, very well. We've got the Black Ferns in the quarterfinals. You never know when their campaign's going to end. Look, they are going to beat Wales this weekend in the quarterfinals, but it is a knockout stage of a World Cup. If the shoe was on the other foot, there is absolutely no way that he would be going to a, a, a game overseas if the All Blacks were playing in a quarterfinal here. I think it's, I think it's average uh, overall in terms of both him being over there and also the kickoff time uh, not being changed or not being slightly altered, so that the Black Ferns could get their time in the sun. It's an interesting one, isn't it, Andrew? I mean, I, I don't know who's doing the scheduling, but uh, this came out and this looked like an own goal, and then you realise that also playing at the same time is going to be this this All Black 15 Barbars game is going to be the same time as the All Blacks versus Scotland on that Northern Tour as well. I mean, someone's not talking to someone else. Yeah, that, that example doesn't bother me quite so much, but, but this weekend in particular, this requires a please explain from Mark Robinson, I think. Um, for, for a lot of the reasons that guys just mentioned, obviously. And you're absolutely right, mate. Like, if the boot was on the other foot and it was the All Blacks playing in a World Cup quarterfinal on home soil and, and the Black Ferns were playing Japan, let's just say, for an example, uh, in Japan, we know exactly where Mark Robinson would be. So I think he needs to explain why he's in Japan. And I think... Well, I suspect the answer to why the game's been... I don't think they would have had a say in that. I think the JRU's probably the ones that have that have organised the kickoff time. But what's wrong with asking, or at least... And, and maybe they did, but that's what needs, needs explaining. They need to front up and explain why this has happened, because it's just a yeah. terrible look. And it, it looks like all of the efforts um, that New Zealand rugby may or may not be putting into promoting the women's game, it, it just looks like empty. It just looks hollow when, when you have an example like this. I mean, all of the attention, really, should be on the Black Ferns right now. They're playing in a World Cup on home soil, and if the All Blacks have to play, you know, uh, a match this weekend, just do your best to organise it at a different time. There's absolutely no reason why I think that game needed to be played at exactly the same time as the Black Ferns this weekend. So I'd like to think that Mark Robinson, if he's over there in, in Japan, he's going to going to be fronting up and explaining exactly why and how this has happened because it's a terrible look for them. Yeah, it's, it's it's not a great look. You, you're right. And then, you know, you get some mixed messages out in New Zealand rugby. I mean, and and one of these. Uh, that that came to the fore not long ago, Guy, made me question what you can believe that comes out of NZR headquarters because we were told that the whole idea of having this uh, Rugby World Cup in Auckland and Whangarei only was due to COVID and that, you know, if there was another outbreak, they'd be able to contain it. And then we find out that the whole plan was submitted and the bid was submitted in 2018 before COVID even hit. So I'm, I'm not quite sure what's going on. Yeah, when Andrew said before, uh, we need a please explain from Mark Robinson, we've had a few please explain from Mark Robinson in the last 
uh, probably 12 to 18 months, really. Um, look, I, I like the guy. He's a nice guy. I don't know whether he's done an amazing job so far as he's on rugby CEO, though, and, and this is another example of, of something that, that is going to be heavily questioned, and rightfully so, as to how they've done this, um, particularly when, as you mentioned, um, you know, that, that was actually that call was actually made in 2018. That was well before COVID was even a thing. Um, so I don't think they can sit back on that. And then just going back to the whole quarterfinal situation, well, New Zealand rugby might say, we didn't know which quarterfinal the Black Ferns would have been in. Well, I mean, it was pretty obvious, wasn't it, when England and France are in the same pool. That match was probably always going to be close. The Black Ferns, with all due respect to their opponents, are playing pre- three pretty... Um, lower-level women's rugby sides. They were always going to blow them out of the water. It was always going to be obvious that the Black Ferns were going to be finishing as top qualifier and playing in that quarterfinal. There's really no excuse. There is none. There is no excuse at all. Uh, let's move on to the T20 World Cup. Uh, Daryl Mitchell, uh, apparently fit. He will play, by the looks of things, against Afghanistan tonight. Uh, last night, we saw the Aussies bounce back from their loss to the Black Caps to beat Auss- uh, Sri Lanka by seven wickets. Uh, question for you, Andrew, is uh, is the hoodoo over? Australia in, in, a, in Australia, is the hoodoo over for the Black Caps now? Mate, I... Look, I'm not saying that New Zealand's going to beat Australia in Australia every time they play now, not by any means. But I genuinely feel like, particularly in, in the shorter formats, I feel like the fear factor is gone. Um, and I think that was quite evident the other night, actually. Um, and, and, it's, and, and a win like that uh, against Australia in a T20 World Cup opener, but, like, they destroyed them. And as Smitty quite rightly said, it was a good old-fashioned hiding. I mean, geez, that was some outstanding, uh, iconic piece of commentary right there. Um, and I think those sorts of losses have an impact. You know, the, the, by that sort of margin, in your home sort, like they were embarrassed the other night, Australia, and, and that sticks. That sticks for that group of players, not just for Australia, but for the Black Caps as well. And so it'll be really fascinating, I think, should these two teams meet again, and I suppose there's a high possibility that that could happen, if these two teams meet again later on in this tournament, it'll be fascinating to see whether that has any kind of impacts going into a World Cup final. But I just think some of those Australian players, like the, the luster and the fear factor is gone. I mean, I think the Black Caps have dismissed David Warner cheaply enough on, on enough occasions now that... He's not really a player that they fear anymore. And, and just the way that our bowling lineup just, just tore through uh, their batters was just so deeply impressive. I, I must admit, myself, I was questioning whether 200 was going to be enough. Well, boy, boy, it turned out to be well more than enough, didn't it? Because I just think we have the bowling stocks now that, um, you know, we, we really can feel like we're in a position of strength, I suppose, you know, um, setting a target and then um, setting about dismantling the opposition batting lineup. I think it's a, it's a, it's a win that should really give this Black Cap team confident, uh, confidence heading into the rest of this World Cup. They can't get arrogant, though, because GT20 format is, is just one of those ones, isn't it, where you know you can be up one day and down the next. Um, they've got to maintain it. But, look, it's a great start, and yeah, let's hope it continues. Yeah, let's hope that it continues indeed. I mean, Guy, you know, Andrew's made some great points there, but that said, Chapel Hadley series, we tore through, through them with our bowlers and then choked with the bats. So I wasn't 100% sure uh, that this was going to go that way. In fact, I, I was pretty sure it was going to go the other way. Yeah, I'm a little bit of the opposite. I, I don't think one T20 victory, albeit an absolute annihilation, uh, does shape the hoodoo at all. Um, I worry about the Black Caps team, particularly if they have to play Australia again in a semi-final or a final in Australia. Uh, I think it might be a different kettle of fish. But 
in saying that, man, I loved every second of that the other night. It was just the most glorious thing to see the Black Caps running through Australia. Uh, I will happily try and find any place I can to play that David Warner uh, dismissal in any story that I do going forward because that was just beautiful to see him just so utterly embarrassed the way that he got out. Um, but, yeah, I'm, I'm not sure whether it does shake the hoodoo. Uh, I, I, yeah. I, 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 um, look, they, they are going to have to produce either that or something close to that, uh, maybe at least once, maybe twice to win this tournament. Uh, and that was about as perfect as the Black Cats could have played on Saturday night. So, um, can they win it? Yeah, they can. Absolutely they can because we've seen that they can play their absolute best and they can clearly thrash anyone when they want to. Can they do it? once, twice again in this tournament, I'm not so sure. Mm, it's going to be interesting to see how they go when it comes to the Poms. That is the next big test uh, for our boys. Uh, gentlemen, I know you're both keen on the GGs. Apparently there's a big horse race over in Melbourne on Tuesday. Um, uh, how excited are you about this, Guy? Hugely. Uh, not just Melbourne Cup. The whole weekend, um, some big races over in Melbourne, the Empire Rose, the Derby, and then obviously the Melbourne Cup on Tuesday. And uh, as Andrew has done very well in highlighting in his stories this week or in the past week, um, you know, James McDonald is just unbelievable. And I don't think, and I know Andrew will back me up here and will probably say it even better, he doesn't get anywhere near the amount of respect, the amount of coverage that he should here in New Zealand. The guy is an unbelievable sports person. Um, and he has just been... Sorry, I'm not emotional. I'm actually out of breath because I was just climbing the stairs. But uh, he has been... <laughs> He has been simply outstanding in everything that he's done in the past, what, two or three years, probably longer than that. He's won every race he could possibly win. The Cox played in the weekend was just another example of a perfect steer by a jockey on a, on a horse that has been pretty unlucky at times, um, on Animo, that is, and the Cox played to win that was, was brilliant. Um, and, yeah, I, I just think that that guy is heavily underrated, heavily underappreciated in New Zealand, and I can't wait to see what he could do in the Melbourne Cup, go back-to-back potentially on loft, having won it, <coughs> excuse me, on uh, very elegant last year. And then I'm also very excited to see how La Creek goes, the best horse in New Zealand at the moment. And if she can get up over in Australia, that'd be awesome. <laughs> I don't know how big those stairs are, but they uh, you, are, are you doing are you doing the, the Sky City uh, climb or something, Guy? I don't, I don't know what's mate, going on there. Well, I was, I was actually going to be doing the marathon this weekend, and then I got COVID earlier in the year, so that's about that. I need to go out for a run because I'm dying right now. <laughs> yeah, well, hopefully not literally. Um, Andrew, um, <laughs> James McDonald has been given the big ups by Guy there. Of course, he did win the Cox Plate. If he wins the Melbourne Cup on loft, um, is it? Do, do we dare say the Hellbergs word? Well, mate, I said the Hellbergs. He was, he was, mate. Look, I'm no, no kidding here. Like he was my pick for the Hellberg Sports Man of the Year last year, and he didn't even, and he wasn't even a finalist. Last year, James McDonald won the Everest on Nature Strip. He won the Melbourne Cup on Very Elegant. He set a record 10 victories uh, during the Melbourne Cup Carnival. Like, this is phenomenal stuff. Absolutely phenomenal. You've got a guy like Glenn Boss who's won it all. He's won three Melbourne Cups, well, five Cox Plates. He's won just about everything. You've got Glenn Boss saying that James McDonald, at 30 years old, is the best jockey in the world and the best jockey he's ever seen. And this guy, yeah, he doesn't get anywhere near the level of recognition that he should. And look, he, he, may, he may well win the Melbourne Cup uh, on Tuesday aboard loss. Um, you know, I, I, don't, I can't say, I don't think anyone can say that with any certainty because the Melbourne Cup is just that sort of race. But this year, James McDonald has gone to Ascot. He's won the King's Stand on Nature Strip. He's won the Cox Plate with 
my goodness, I cannot stress this enough, an absolutely pinpoint perfect ride on Animo in the Cox Plate uh, on the weekend. And now he's, he's in line for a, for a Melbourne Cup award loss. I just don't know what else this guy can do. And, and look, you, you talk about Hilbergs. I, I really struggle to take the Hilbergs seriously because the parameters in which the judges are asked to select their finalists and winners is just, it's so small-minded, to be honest. It, it's, it's, they're narrow, and it, and it really needs a serious rethink, I think, if the Hilbergs are to be taken seriously. Um, the fact that we can't recognise proper elite international sports people. I mean, you know, we've got athletes like Stephen Adams and Chris Wood doing it week in, week out in the Premier League, or, you know, have been in, the, in previous seasons at least, and they don't even get a mention. Um, you know, sometimes I wonder if James McDonald's going to have to take up rowing to get any kind of recognition in this country. But, look, I, 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 I seriously don't know. Yeah, exactly. well, he would have to be a cop, exactly. Um, I don't know what else this guy can do, he, because he's doing it all. He's done it all, and he's doing it all. And, and, a, and a fantastic sport that doesn't get anywhere near the level of recognition. And I'll, I'll give you one story. I know I'm dragging on a wee bit here. But last year when he missed out on being a finalist in the Hellbergs, I actually spoke to a judge. I won't, I won't throw them under the bus here and name them. But I, I was asking, why do you think James didn't even get named as a finalist? And they said to me, to be honest, I don't really know much about horse racing. And I think the general feeling is that the horse does all the work. I just I, that just staggered me to be honest because on that on that sort of notion you no one no no motorsport people can can win an award because you could argue that it's the vehicle that's doing all the work you know look at take Lewis Hamilton for example he's won seven Formula One world titles are we saying that that's all the car the reason that the reason that great drivers and that's essentially what what jockeys are they're, they're a pilot essentially the reason they get the best drives and the best rides is because they are the best. You know, the, pe- the people who have these horses or these vehicles, they don't trust uh, the driving or steering of these vehicles to, to just any old, any old person. They give it to the best. And James is, without question, the best in Australia, certainly. And I think there is a very strong argument to say he's the best in the world. In fact, I think he was ranked the best in the world last year, at least with one, um, one rankings provider. Um, but look, he's elite, this guy. And, and I think it's, if they want recognition, if this industry wants recognition for James McDonald, I think it's really up to New Zealand Thoroughbred Racing to have a really good hard think about how they present their argument to the Hellberg Awards Committee. You know, maybe it's not enough to say that he won a Melbourne, well, clearly last year it wasn't enough to say that he won the Everest and he won the Melbourne Cup. Maybe they need to put into perspective exactly what these races mean and how important they are, how big they are, how many races he's winning. And maybe they need to get anecdotes from people like Glenn Boss from the best in the world to say, this guy, your athlete, he is the best in the world. So I, I, that would be my challenge, I suppose, to New Zealand thoroughbred racing is maybe, maybe they need to look more at themselves about what they can do to ensure that James gets the recognition that he does because he is without question the greatest poster boy for this industry at a time when they desperately need it. Yeah, and the greatest voice for this industry at the moment, I think, is Andrew Gordy. I mean, loveracing.nz need to uh, need to employ you, Gordy. The home of thoroughbred racing, the voice of thoroughbred racing at the moment. Jeez, Guy, yeah, that's, a, that's a great audition. I was about to say, I told you he'd say it better than me. Um, <laughs> no, that, yeah, I mean, I, I echo everything that he says when I've eventually got my breath back. Um, yeah, I, I just can't wait for this weekend. And as, and as I say, when you sum that up, and when, as I say, you've got the cricket, uh, the Rugby World Cup, and then the pointy end for Kiwis very soon as well, 
there's just so much more sport that is better to watch at the moment and talk about than Super Rugby squads. So yeah. bring back to that. Oh, yeah, circling back beautifully and wrapping the chat nicely. Uh, thank you, Guy. You're a true professional. Um, stay away from the buffet table. Go for a run and uh, you'll be fine. <laughs> Gentlemen, thank you very much for joining us on the panel today. Go well. Cheers, Good chat. Yeah, Andrew Gordy, Guy Havelt. It is 23 past 11 when we come back. Pip Morris from the TAB. Z mornings with Ian Smith. Time to catch up with Pip from the TAB. G'day, Pip. How are you? I'm very good, Ricardo. How are you this morning? Yeah, good, thanks, mate. Uh, busy time of year for you guys. Uh, racing galore from this weekend, right? Oh, absolutely. Looking forward to, of course, the Derby and the Empire Rose. And we'll have Kiwi Raiders and both of those on Saturday. And closer to home today, Ricardo, we've got Gore to look forward to. Any races with six or more runners will have power plays available on them as well. We're guaranteed late quaddy as per usual with 5,000. And the Greyhounds today, 10 race card. I think a dog in race number three looks very hard to beat. Big time mask. But I do like big time chalky in that race as well. Chalk too. On the sports side of things, Ricardo, well, we'll start with the T20. It's been $1,000 on England head-to-head at $1.06. 2.2,000 on New Zealand at $1.17. And the best pack power play there is Devin Conway and Finn Allen as well as Kane Williamson to all hit one or more sixes each at 450. And Devin Conway is by far the best backed top run scorer. And just on that nice uh, bonus for a bit here around the T20, it's called the early payout. Place a pre-match head-to-head bet on the T20 World Cup. And if your team bats first and scores 200 or more or bowls first and restricts them to under 120, we'll pay you out as an early winner. So that's something uh, to sink your teeth into there. And just quickly on the basketball, $560 on the Wizards head-to-head at 145. And the best back power play there is Luke Doncic and Stephen Curry each score 30 or more points. And the Dallas Mavericks and Golden State Warriors both win at $11. Good stuff, Pip. Thanks very much, mate. Go well. I know you, you're going to be uh, fizzing and busy as anything from now right through about, uh, I would imagine, about 6 o'clock on Tuesday when, when you might allow yourself a tipple. Oh, absolutely, Ricardo. What a time of the year, isn't it great? Yeah, fantastic, mate. Yeah, you too, mate. Pip Morris there with us from the TAB. Watch and live bet on your favourite sports and racing at tab.co.nz. Please gamble responsibly, R18. Now, speaking of the TAB, we have a $50 TAB bonus bet up for grabs because it is time for Stumped. If you want to play Stumped, double, uh, I was going to say double eight, double three, that's the text number, isn't it? Good luck on that one. 0800 150 if you want to play Stumped, a $50 TAB bonus bet up for grabs for you right now, though it is time for the latest in news and sport with Aroha. A good match here. Stumped by Smithy. Ian Smith really is top class at his job. Yes, it's time for our favourite segment on the morning here in SCNZ. It is stumped by Ricardo, potentially, with uh, Ian Smith away on T20 Cricket World Cup duty. Ricardo, uh, not doing so great the last couple of times, though. How are you feeling about this one? Uh, well, I thought I went all right yesterday. It was just the, it was the, uh, the ice hockey one that let me down. Mm. Yeah. I, I, stumped, I stumped one person yesterday. <laughs> That's true. That's yeah, true. But yeah. look, uh, you're in the hot seat taking over uh, for Smithy while he's away doing the great things that he does and talking about Aussies getting a hiding, which, gosh, don't we love to hear that. Put that one on repeat. Uh, yeah, I mean, you've got to keep those gloves ready. Need more than one stumping. Yeah, that is true. That is true. Who have we got up today? Uh, first up at the crease, he's got his bat. He's ready to go. Wade from Christchurch. Come in, mate. Morning, gentlemen. Hey, mate. How you doing? 
I'll tell you in a few minutes. <laughs> <laughs> like it. Like it. All right. Uh, $50 TAB bonus bet up for grabs today. This is how the game works. We've got three categories to choose from. If you get a question wrong, then it'll be over to Ricardo for a chance to knock your bales off. Get out within those first two questions, and then it's in, on to the next caller in line. If you get dismissed on the final question, then we will jackpot tomorrow. Now, Wade, your topics today to choose from. We've got the World Series, the Aussie NBL, and the A-League. Take your pick. Uh, not three of my strong ones. I'll stay away from the A-League because I what Ricardo loves his football. <laughs> um, let's try the A-NBL. All right. Good luck. I will say if anyone was listening to the Ben Reiter interview, pretty much all the answers were there. Uh, but we have Aussie NBL, one of my favourite sports. So let's go. First question for you, Wade. Last season, the break has finished bottom of the ladder in their worst season to date. But where are the New Zealand team currently sitting on the ladder? Well, they're going to have to... I think I lost the first game. They won a few after that. I'll say fourth. One of the worst things I have ever seen done on a cricket field. Ricardo. Uh, they're sitting second after beating the Taipans. That's a couple of chips down the wicket. Right in the slot, and away it goes. Yeah, sorry, Wade. So the answer to the question earlier about how you feeling, how are you feeling now? Uh, yeah, thanks, Ricardo. You <laughs> <like the basketball laughs> too, <laughs> sorry, Wade. Have a great weekend, brother. All right, on to the next. Of course, uh, yes, they are currently sitting second after beating the Kings Taipans. They're now four and two. Up next to the crease, oh, great friend of the show, Ed from Tiger Bay. Come in, mate. Hey, morning, uh, the um, Logan and um, Ricardo. Oh. How you doing, mate? Oh, not too bad, but when the bro picked old um, NBL, man, I was going for A-League. <laughs> oh, bro, oh uh, you can always try again tomorrow, mate. But uh, second, Try again tomorrow, yeah, but, but we'll see what happens. Yeah, see what happens. Second question for you. How many games did the Breakers win in total last season after finishing bottom of the league? Oh, was it five? Just a couple of chips down the wicket. Right in the slot. Nice, and away nice. It goes. Yeah, away we go. Five and 23. That was the record. Great stuff, Ed. Last question. Uh, $50 TAB bonus bet. Up for grabs for you here, mate. Who is currently at the bottom of the ANBL table this season? This season? Oh, man. Is it the Hawks? Just a couple of chips down the wicket. Right in the slot, yeah! and away it goes. <laughs> yes, boy. Yes, boy. That's right. The Illawarra Hawks. <laughs> They're 1-5, mate, after losing to the Brisbane Bullets, 82-56. Last round, the Bullets were at the bottom of the table. Of course, they just got their first win. So, Ricardo, you didn't even get a shot there, mate. Ed from Tolaga Bay just smashed it. Just smashing it, Ed. All right, mate, I mean, you know, obviously you were, uh, you were still partying from... Uh, we're going to do it too, Ricardo. Yeah, well, you, well, you're still partying from your Lahore Cup win, mate, uh, obviously. So no, you, you, you no, need... I've actually got a can in my hand now. <laughs> See, I knew it. Uh, so you, you need to top up the beverage. Where are you going to put that $50, do you reckon? Bro, you know that Israel Dad's got a horse? Well, yeah, I have heard. Pungo. It's it's hard to Pungo. it's hard to avoid if you listen to the breakfast show to know that Israel Dang's got a horse called Pongo. Yes, uh, so you, you're going to back. He paid four dollars fifty the last race. So you're going to back that. 
Well, if it's paying four dollars fifty, that's fifty times yeah. four dollars fifty. Bro, that's a couple of hundred bucks. Yeah, that'll make that'll be good. That'll be good. You'll be you'll be able to oh, shout all the boys from Nati Pro East Coast of Barbie as well. Right, those fellas, man, alive. They'll, they'll be getting shouted right, left, and centre. Yeah, I'll all bet, week. I bet they will, Ed. Well oh. done, mate. Congratulations. Oh. Thank you, Ricardo. Go Thank well, you, Logan. Go well. Go well. There we go. There's another stump, Logan. All I got. I've got two stumpings in two days, but uh, still wasn't able to hold on to it. No, well, it's it's hard when someone like Ed is on fire like that. But that was great. Yeah, it was. It was. To be fair, he would have won even if he had got that last question wrong, because I would have said Brisbane, because I thought they were still low in five. But they, I, I, I miss it. They picked up that win against the Hawks. So well done, Ed. Well done, Ed. Hey, uh, we have got uh, our Mount Rushmore coming up. Uh, we've had plenty of texts come through too on uh, on Mount Rushmore, and uh, the Mount Rushmore is great athletes who have become great sportscasters. Uh, Mike has texted through saying, "Thanks for the football multi last week. I turned my twenty into one hundred and twenty easy." My Mount Rushmore: Richie Benno, Kerry O'Keefe, uh, Smithy, and then Justin Marshall. Uh, no, he said, and if Justin Marshall is on there, I'm blowing up the mountain. Well, that's not very nice. Sorry, Marshall goes all right. But uh, there you go, Mike. Keep your thoughts coming through. Double eight, double three is the text line. We'll get to our Mount Rushmore's next. The voice of sport in Aotearoa. This is Mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ. Right, 16 away from midday, time for our Mount Rushmore of great athletes who went on to be great sportscasters. A ton of texts coming through with lots of nominations, but Logan, time for us to give ours. And I'm going to start, I'm going to start with a bloke close to my heart as a Parramatta Reels fan. I think in terms of a guy who's a former player, who's become a broadcaster, he is the best of the great players to become a great broadcaster. I'm going to say Peter Sterling. And he saves for the Maroons. Fantastic defence from Queensland. They really rose to the occasion. Harrigan threw himself at the line. Somehow they repelled him. Now Laurie Daly looking to set something up on the left-hand side of the field for Steve Menzies. They go right, then left. The greatest player turned broadcaster in rugby league history. Peter Sterling for me. Oh, and there's so many, like, you think of honourable mentions, right? There's so many guys who have had a great NRL career that have now gone on to broadcasting. I love Matty Johns. And I toss and turn about whether to put him in mine. I don't actually have any NRL stars, but I'm going to start with the NFL. And it is one that uh, Jacob Spoonley mentioned earlier. He's known as the Romo Stradamus because Tony Romo had a great career as the Dallas Cowboys quarterback. Uh, maybe not so much postseason success, but he has now since gone on to become a great broadcaster, and he, and he is known for predicting plays before they happen because he just has that mind. He can just read the field and see what's going to happen, and it, it makes for great TV when you're watching along. So my little clip here, though, isn't of him doing that. It's of him doing an incredible uh, impersonation of another great football commentator, NFL football commentator, uh, John Madden. I'm Madden, I tell you, no one has ever done it better, but here you go. Okay, now listen, Jim, you're going to see a run this way, you're going to see people coming in, but you got to have these guys block, and if they don't, then you're not going to get up field and then cut here, and you see that? 
There's the daddies coming in, and here's the mommies over here. And at the end of the day, the kids always get to play. And, they, you know, and around our house, the kids always win. You know what I mean, Pat? I actually completely understand, I completely understand what you said, actually. <laughs> and the other thing I love about that is that he doesn't take himself too seriously. Yeah, which is always good. Uh, my next one is, I know this possibly slightly controversial given that I'm doing Ian Smith's show, but uh, I love uh, as a football, uh, as, as a football, as a cricket commentator and as uh, someone that has great insights into the game, Simon Dool. And he's done something that not a lot of uh, cricket commentators and presenters have done, is that he is probably as popular, if not more popular, outside of New Zealand than he is in New Zealand. He's created a career for himself in the subcontinent. He's big in England. He's big in the Caribbean. Uh, Simon's all for me uh, is, is right up there in terms of uh, cricket commentators. Right, we're down to the last ball. Four. A boundary four wins it for Lancashire. again in 2022. The fireworks begin, the celebrations begin. Oh my goodness. The the passion, the fireworks (laughs) in the voice, what delivery. Simon Dool, great cricketer, great bowler and probably even better broadcaster. Oh, yeah, great shout. And, of course, I mean, plenty of great cricketers have gone on to have great careers in broadcasting as well. Just thinking of, you know, Richie Benno, Shane Warne. I mean, it's... I just, yeah, I'm sad that we don't get to listen to Warney anymore because I love the way that he looked at the game. Uh, my next one for me, absolute legend of tennis. He's known for his tantrums. Of course, I'm talking about John McEnroe, but he's so highly respected uh, following his playing career because, I mean, just everything that he brings to the table during the majors, right? Uh, so, what I got here is just a little bit of his love for another great tennis player, Roger Federer. If you had to pick one thing that I was jealous of of Roger Federer, would be his absolute like love and joy to just be out there playing, which most of us feel felt or feel more angst. Uh, you're going through this turmoil. You're battling yourself. You're battling your opponent. You're, you're part of your mind's you know looking at the glass half empty, and you've got to work at making sure you're looking at it more the glass half full. And so um, he has this unique ability, even when times of struggle, for him, it's all relative, obviously, but he brushes that off a lot more easily than anyone. Of course, he, he has won Wimbledon, he's won the US Open, didn't win the Australian Open or the French Open, but yeah, he was once world number one as well. So great tennis career, backed up with an incredibly great tennis broadcasting career as well. Yeah, he, he, he's a smart man. Uh, John McEnroe could listen to him talk tennis all day. Uh, my next uh, commentator, uh, who was a great footballer, played a lot of games for England, played a lot of games for Manchester United. Uh, Talking about Gary Neville, he has become one of the leading broadcasters in the UK, listened to on a lot of topics, and I I don't think you can go past them. A lot of guys, Roy Keane's been mentioned, uh, Gary Lineker's been mentioned, but he puts himself out there with his opinions, as well as being able to be a play-by-play caller as well, and there's not many that can do that. United are furious. Well, they think it's a foul by Virgil van Dijk on David De Gea, but my initial reaction was it absolutely wasn't. The goalkeeper looked like he just drops it. 
Van Dijk jumps straight up. Van Dijk jumps straight up in the air, and Paulson's been surrounded. We'll see on VAR, and it'll come down to whether Van Dijk's raised his arm or not. Only going to Solskjaer furious, David de Gea furious. But we've seen it before, David. You've got to be stronger when challenged. I just think he drops it. Oh, I just love that atmosphere there. Uh, my next one for me, Ricardo, on the Mount, Mount Rushmore, great athletes now, great broadcasters. I'm going to go to baseball, and to me, he is the voice of baseball after 17 years playing in the major leagues. You know how some commentators have a catchphrase? Yep. This is my favourite. Swinging a drive, left field, Tommy Pham is back, at the wall, at the fence, gone! Swinging a drive, he's done it again! Swinging a drive, get up ball, get out of here, and gone! Swinging a drive! Oh, I just love it. And gone, and gone. Buck Martinez for baseball. All right, well, that leads me to my last, and I, I love this guy. I know Dan, uh, Daniel Cormier has been uh, uh, featuring on a few tweets, but for me, the guy who I think is the best uh, analysis and caller of uh, fight sports now is Paul Felder. He's a guy that, you know, he won f- performance of the night three times fighting in the UFC. He's been a champion before as well, and now he is a champion broadcaster. The Irish Dragon, Paul Felder for me. So even on total strikes at the moment. stuff. <laughs> and somebody who can appreciate yeah, the best, best knockout is right there. I need somebody else to take some of these replay non-stop assault. Paul Felder, the Irish Dragon, they call him. Uh, you know, you might know him. He fought Dan Hooker here in New Zealand. Great fighter and an even better commentator, I think, Logan. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> man, God, that sounded intense, didn't it? Just on the audio alone. <laughs> Look, there's one left. You might say I'm I'm doing this to keep a job, <laughs> but I do actually highly respect the man, both as a cricketer and a commentator. I mean, we see it now. He is just he is one of the ICC's top dogs when it comes to cricket commentators. Of course, I'm talking about Ian Smith, and really, I, I'm gonna take you out to the break because with this, it is just so iconic. No, I'm not talking about the hiding. I'm talking about a few years ago. When a certain hairy javelin just absolutely smashed one. Top of my Mount Rushmore, Ian Smith. Sometimes needing new tyres can catch us by surprise. That's why tyre power gives you the power of zip pay and zip money. You can get what you need now, get back on the road safely and pay for it later. Terms and conditions apply. So visit tyrepower.com.au or call 13 21 91.